Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Blues win it, they shoot, they score! Right in front, Braden Shen gets a piece of it. You can hear it clank in. And just like that, the Blues get a power play goal. They take a 1 0 lead. Tarasenko shot on. Quick the save. Blues center. They score! Tory Krug! Tory Krug! He buries it with 7.1. And the St. Louis Blues have tied the game at two. They earned a point. Can they get the second? Here's Shen. In on quick. Deeks and shoots. Shot it wide. And the LA Kings beat the Blues by a score of three to two with a shootout win tonight. And the Blues could not bail their goaltender out tonight, who is downright great for him. Well, that was a tough one last night because you go from the enthusiasm as you just heard there from the blues radio network right here on 101 esp in your home for the blues you'll hear him back in action once again back to back tonight Hell late yeah. night pregame with alex ferrario at 8 30 you go from the uh, ecstasy the enthusiasm of that tory crew goal with seven seconds to go into overtime where your team doesn't have a shot and then into the shootout where early on it's like, okay, this looks good for the Blues. And then at the very end, it's like, oh, damn, this does not look good for the Blues. That was a tough one last night, Alex. Good to get the point, but you felt like they should have got the win in that one. Yeah, they, well, they didn't really deserve the win in that one because I think the Kings were the better team. The first period was maybe the only period where I felt like the Blues had the slight edge. I felt like the first half of the second period, they looked great. And we- then suddenly everything shifted. But here's the thing. It's even strength is the problem right now. Like the Blues looked great on the power play. The Blues looked phenomenal on the penalty kill. And Jordan Bennington was a stud. But there was no sustained offensive pressure at five on five. And I think that's the impact of not having Ryan O'Reilly on the ice. But I, I, look, I, I didn't think the Blues looked bad at all in this one. But the second period, the sloppiness kind of started to fall into play. And then the third period, it really got away from them. There were turnovers in the neutrals. There really just wasn't the the skating that Craig Berube likes to see. And it was what we talked about in our post-Saturday game as well against the Blackhawks. There's just too many one-and-dones for the Blues right now. The puck's going in, they're taking the shot, but then they're just not able to cycle that momentum like they usually do. And Craig Berube talked last night about how there just weren't bodies in front of the net that you want to see second, third opportunities. So overall, you it, it should be appreciated that the Blues got a point in this one because Absolutely. you fought to get that extra point. And sometimes points, one point can be the difference between you being on the outside or inside of a playoff spot. 
but that was a game that kind of carried over from Chicago and carried over from Colorado where the Blues are just stagnant at five on five. Yeah, the third period was brutal. Um, other, other than that, I felt pretty good about their performance, to be totally honest with you in that one. But the third period made up for it and that they just didn't show up until the very end when Tory Krug made an unbelievable play. And it wasn't just him. It was him. It was Kairou and it was Tarasenko all combining for that one. But that's what was weird. I felt like with that goal at the end of regulation and then I can't remember which specific shot it was, but in overtime, the one that fell off of the back of quick and oh, went into that the was net, Kyrus. that felt so good. I was like, okay, was this good. is, this is destiny. Like one team is winning. They're the team that are, is finding ways to win. And the other team is finding ways to lose. And that's kind of the story this year for the blues and the story this year for the Kings in some ways. And then it flipped on the dime. Both times afterwards, the Kings were able to work their way back. After the goal from uh, Krug, you had the overtime period by the Kings where they just were clearly better, even though they didn't score. And then in the shootout, after the goal by Kairou, the Kings just kept on responding. So um, it, it's super disappointing. You bring up the five on five. Let's focus on that for a minute because Tory Krug was asked after the game last night, what's happened? Where did this offense go? Here's what he had to say. Well, I think we're pretty content with being on the outside in the perimeter. Um, we have been able to get some shots through, and uh, when we do, uh, there's not many second chances. So um, we have to realize that you got to be a little bit hungry, and you got to go to those hard areas to score goals. It, it hurts to score goals in this league and, and to be successful, and um, we have to realize that before it gets too late. We're doing this again? We're doing this again. Hey, man, it's one game. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I mean, two games, but it was the Blackhawks. And- so in their first six games, they outscored opponents. The Blues did in uh, even strength ice time, 21 to 13. They were excellent in those situations. Over their last two games, they have been outscored by opponents in even strength opportunities, two to zero. Blues, zero even goal, well, even hey, strength goals hey. in, fi- in their last two games. They've only allowed two. That's good. Their right? defense, their goal prevention has been really good. And yeah, Bennington, last night, Bennington last night, Bennington last night was top four defenseman. Awesome. Yeah. He was outstanding for the Blues. Best player and on the ice. They ended up winning that. Uh, Tory Krug has a, a claim on that one. Jordan Bennington, best player on the ice. I don't know, man. <laughs> I I think I would have gone with Tory Krug last night. He was awesome. Uh, but so was Bennington. That's not to take anything away from him. Why do you hate goaltenders, man? What happened here? What happened to the well, five, the five on five even strength, whatever you want to call it? In the last couple of Craig games, Craig Berube said it after the game too. Like it's not easy to play this style for an 82 game schedule. Like you get beat up in front of the net. That's why guys sometimes are hesitant to go there. I think some of it just could be because, not that it's easier to play this way, but you're seeing goals come in that way, and so the Blues are thinking, okay, well we can go about this way. Like Tory Krug's power play goal against Chicago, that was a shot from near the faceoff dots. So they're thinking, okay, well, we can get goals like this. But if you go back to the start of the season when they scored five against Colorado and seven against Arizona, those games came because you were battling in front of the net. But a lot of this, too, is because of the impact of no Ryan O'Reilly. What the Blues were able to accomplish in the first few games of the season, BK, where they were able to outscore their opponents at even strength, 21 to 13, they were doing that because they didn't have one line playing 21 minutes a night. Right, They were able to spread the wealth for four lines. Last night was a perfect example. James Neal and the fourth line were non-existent in the third period. They played eight or nine minutes, I think, total in the hockey game. Yeah, 8.45. That is not how it works for the Blues. The system is four lines that play an even amount of ice time. And when you're down, you go to your better players. 
But if guys aren't going to the net, it's because, well, they're probably overwhelmed by how much time they're playing in the first couple of periods. You know what is a little weird to me is that Saad, Bozak, and Buchnevich only played a little less than 10 minutes in that game, and they were clearly the best line for the Blues last night. Nine yeah. shots for, two shots against, and they only ended up with about a little less than 10 minutes of ice time. Meanwhile, Barbashev, Thomas, and Tarasenko, who also looked pretty good for most of that the one. The line that did not look good was Shen, Kairou, and Perron. It did not look good at all. Perron, both of those top two lines had 14 minutes. So this discrepancy there is a little surprising given the way that that quote-unquote third line with Saad Bozak and Buchnevich played last night. You, I bet you you see a little more of them tonight. Yeah, as a result, I, I wonder if Craig Berube is going to juggle those lines up a little bit to, you know, maybe put Tyler Bozak up there with David Perron and a Brandon Saad to try and replicate what Ryan O'Reilly Perron and Saad had going for him. I, I just you're you're really seeing you're really seeing David Perron's drop off with play without Ryan O'Reilly. It's just different. It, the chemistry is just very different out there, and I just don't think you're seeing the best. Although Shen did score that power play goal, I just don't see think you're seeing the best out of those line combinations. So, uh, frankly, for me, I, I think I would look at changing up that top line to see if you can spark some more offense there. The line I'm still not touching is Thomas Tarasenko and Barbashev. That is still your best line on the ice every single night. They look really good. It, and Vladdy has been awesome so far this season. There's still going to be those moments where defensively he's not exactly where you want him to be. And last night there was a turnover late that was like, oh, Vladdy, no, uh, right in his own zone. I think it might have even been an overtime. But Overall, I mean, his shots are leading to goals for the Blues. It's the rebounds coming off of his shots. And you mentioned this while we were off the air. You're even seeing a one-timer from him now. Where did Out this come from? Yeah, I, He he looks like Vladimir Tarasenko of old. Maybe not at 100%, but 85, 90% of what we've been used to in the past. I, I think those, those one-timers are coming, frankly, because Craig Berube and the coaching staff have been trying to get him to implement that more into his game because he is so lethal if he can get the puck shot off quicker that's what makes Alex Ovechkin an elite player in the National Hockey League because before the puck's even to him it's already in the back of the net which is just incredible so look the one-timer in that power play results in the goal and then the one-time shot from Vladimir Tarasenko results in the goal that Tori Krug scores from Jordan Kairou's pass Vladimir Tarasenko is on a different level now he's got points in six straight games he's got 10 on the season and right now, that's a line that you just can't touch. That's a line that's working at even strength. The problem is you're doing what you did last year. You're relying on one line to be the offense for you. And when everyone else says, oh, this isn't working for us, we'll let this line do it. That's where the play dips off a little bit. Who do you go to in goal tonight? You have to go to Joel Hofer. The, the fact that Jordan Bennington saw, what was it? It was 35 shots. The fact that it went to overtime, that it was a four-round shootout, that it was a late game on top of the fact that they had to fly and then take a long bus ride to get to the San Jose Sharks part, you can't play Bennington in this one tonight. And I know it sucks because Joel Hofer's 21 years old and you don't want to lose this one, but Joel Hofer's played well in the AHL. You got to play tighter in front of him. I would imagine the Blues will, but I just don't think you can go to Jordan Bennington tonight. What would you do, Tanner? I think I'd go to Hofer too. Just because, like you said, he faced 35 shots. You got to fly back-to-back nights. I, I don't have an issue with giving hope for a start. And if it goes poorly, then you can easily turn to Bennington. But it, give him at least some time Well, if some it goes poorly, off. just let Hofer eat it. Because I don't, I don't want to use Bennington right before the, the game on Sunday as well. I, I think if Hofer gets around. kind of, quote-unquote, roughed up, I, I think you can turn to Bennington. I, I think he's in the net. 
I don't want to destroy Hofer's confidence. That's why I don't want to. Yeah, but he's 21 years old. This is his only opportunity. He's he's getting one start while he's up. And he's 21 years old. He's going back to the AHL. He's going to spend the next couple of years in the American Hockey League. Frankly, it's a confidence booster for him that he's even getting this shot in the NHL. This is one of those scenarios. You remember when Calvin Peterson was in net against the Kings in the first game where the Blues put seven on him Mm -hmm. and they didn't take him out of the net because Quick was the one he started the night prior and he was starting the next game. That's what this is for the Blues tonight. They're going to say, Joel, we'll play tight. They, They should play tighter in front of him because they know it's a young goaltender. But you can't pull him out of net. It's a matter of this is your shot tonight. Blues are back in action this evening. You'll hear the last minute Blue po- Blues podcast rather tonight at six o'clock. Instant replay at seven. Blues versus Sharks pregame with Alex Ferrario coming up at eight thirty. A whole lot of Blues content for you from six until basically midnight tonight on one hundred and one ESPN. That's when the third period starts. You guys were out quick last night. You weren't making. Oh, I'm sorry. You were not you, messing around. I'm sorry. Were you staying up till 12:45 to hear my breakdown of the Blues last night? I tuned in. No, you didn't. I did. You guys were off by midnight. No, we were not off by midnight. I was in my car by 12:20. Check the tape, Tanner. I would love you to check the tape because I was tuning in from home, Alex Ferrario, on the free 101 ESPN app on my phone. I'm glad you're calling my uh, post games out now. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. I, it just it what, was what quick. Player, I wanted to hear huh? a little more. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to talk to Ben Albright. He's an NFL insider and he does great work breaking down this NFL relocation suit here in St. Louis. He is actually a St. Louis native, so we will talk to him. Get his thoughts on the lawsuit coming up in about 15 minutes or so and where he thinks a potential expansion team or when he thinks a potential expansion team could be offered to St. Louis. But coming up next, the big news in baseball today, there's two of them. One, a breaking news story here in St. Louis. Two, Buster Posey deciding to retire early in his career. What do we make of his career relative to Yachty's? Just gives me a little bit more appreciation of what we've watched over the last 15 years here in St. Louis. Talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. High drive! Buster Posey begins right now. Posey does have the green light. Hits that one hard into right field. That is way back and goodbye. Buster Posey, a two-run blast. And the Giants are on the board first. It's what it sounded like as Buster Posey's career has now come to an end. He officially announces his retirement later on today. 34, spent his entire career in San Francisco. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, there was a time when Yachty and Buster Posey were seen by basically everybody unanimously as the clear-cut two best catchers in the sport. And Yachty now had started his career like five years before Posey got into the the majors, and now he's going to end his career after Posey leaves the majors. This is not a shot against Buster Posey, who I believe to be a Hall of Famer. I think he is deserving of being a first ballot guy, honestly. Uh, When I think this era, I think Buster Posey as the face of three World Series teams for the Giants, that alone should be enough. Um, But that being said, uh, Buster Posey cut 9,000 innings in his career. Yadier Molina has caught 17,000 innings in his. By the end of next season, Yadier Molina will very likely have doubled up the innings caught that Buster Posey has in his career. Seeing this yesterday, the end of a great career for Posey, 
for me, it reinforced the greatest attribute from Yachty's career, which is just his longevity, whether it be in an individual season of consistently catching 120 to 140 games or over the course of his career where he started and has continued to go for as long as any catcher as we can remember in recent memory. It's it's really a remarkable feat that he's had. It's an incredible feat, and Buster Posey will go down as one of the best catchers of this era. But, I mean, can we stop it with the argument of, well, Buster Posey's not the greatest because Yachty's the greatest. They're two very different catchers. Like Buster, Buster Posey is one of the greatest offensive catchers in the game. Yadier Molina is one of the best defensive catchers in the game. They're two very separate entities, but you look at the impact that both have had on their teams. San Francisco, the reason that they've won three World Series has been in a large part because of Buster Posey and the offense that he provides. What was it I saw earlier today? Rookie of the year, MVP, comeback player of the year. I mean, I don't know twice. How, twice. I don't know how many players have have won those awards in their career. That's a pretty remarkable feat. But it's also remarkable how many gold gloves Yadier Molina has won and how he has dictated this pitching staff and how the reason those World Series victories have come has because of defense and solid pitching. So there are two different entities, and it sucks to see Buster Posey call it a career, but like I'm done with the arguing already on social media of, oh, well, he's the greatest. No, he's the greatest. They're both the greatest in different areas. Yeah, it's it's almost like trying to compare um, Ozzy Smith, well, yeah. oh, Ozzie Smith to Alex Rodriguez. Like, it's it's just not the same. Um, Ozzy Smith is the greatest offensive shortstop that we've seen. And uh, A-Rod, in terms of offensive numbers, yes, I understand there was cheating involved. Uh, in terms of the offensive numbers, he's just on a different level than other catchers of this era. So I'm, I'm totally with you, Alex. We had a texter earlier today who I thought said it really well. Uh, they basically said for the last 20 years, if you're looking for the face of defensive catchers, it is Yadier Molina. He's he's the one that you would look to. He is the uh, figure of excellence for defensive catchers. And if you're looking on the offensive side of things over the last 20 years, uh, the offensive figure of excellence is Buster Posey mm-hmm. at the catcher position. You can appreciate both. They're very different. Buster Posey had a really high-level prime offensively, one of the best that we've ever seen for his position. He won an MVP because of his offensive numbers at the catcher spot. And for Yadier Molina, it's about over a sustained period of time what he's done behind the plate, both in terms of his defensive prowess and also his game calling. You could appreciate both without having to knock either of them. In my opinion, they should both be Hall of Famers. They should both go down as the two guys from this era at that position that are worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. No doubt about it to me. Um, Tanner, did, did you have a thought on that? Sorry, I cut you off there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're. I'm with you guys. You can't really compare them because, like you said, Yachty's the defensive-minded guy. Buster Posey more offense. Uh, an interesting set I found on Posey last night. He's just the second player in Major League Baseball history to win a Rookie of the Year MVP and three World Series titles. The other guy to do that was Pete Rose. So I, I think that— Not a Hall of Famer. He would have been. I, I, I think that right there should be the thing that propels Buster Posey into the Hall of Fame. I think there's one thing that will possibly knock him, and not, and not just longevity, but you look at Yadier Molina, there's nobody currently in Major League Baseball that you could look at that you could say— that's one of the best defensive catchers, and he's a, a guy that controls a pitching staff. There's nobody in Major League Baseball right now that really does that. I mean, you can maybe argue Jacob Stallings, but he's in Pittsburgh, so he gets yeah. kind of forgotten. There's a guy that's going to kind of take this role of that catcher spot of Buster Posey, and that's Will Smith in L.A. 
he's going to be taking that offensive catcher prowess because he's going to be one of the best offensive players in Major League Baseball here in just a couple of years. And I think that itself might hurt Buster Posey. And I think that's probably going to be a little unfair, but I think that will Does kind that of hurt, hurt his Posey cause. or just remind everybody how rare it is? If there's only been one guy to do it over a decade and it looks like there's only going to be one guy to do it in the next decade, I think that helps his I case, think that not hurts it. solidifies his case more than anything. Yeah. I mean, over the last decade, you think about the catcher position, and I, I do think it's important to do this because I think you got to look at baseball in chunks, right? Look at the era that they played in and how did they rank among their peers There was nobody else in that same range as Buster Posey in this era. Maybe you could argue Joe Maurer, um, but even Joe Maurer, a similar career in terms of it was derailed by injury at the end. He didn't catch very long. He was a first baseman by the end of his career. So I even think for him, it's a little bit different. I think Posey had a a more successful overall career than him. But I think think what I'm thinking of that, because now that you say Maurer, that's a good one too, is I feel like the offensive catcher kind of gets – bogged down by the guy that predecessors him because before Maurer who was it It was Jason Kendall it was Kendall yeah but Kendall wasn't on the same level as these guys I mean, Kendall had a 288 career average I mean he didn't hit for home runs but as many home runs I should say uh but it went from Kendall to Maurer yeah Kendall was a below average hitter for his career like he he was a 95 OPS plus guy and meanwhile if you're looking at Buster Posey for his career he has a 130 OPS plus I I just don't think those guys are quite on the same level as hitters okay but I still think that the kind of gets I still think there's been kind of that small kind of transition for you know you mentioned rarity and I I think there's still going to be a little bit of an impact on his Do you not think Posey's a Hall of Famer then? I think he's a Hall of Famer. Okay. I'm just saying I feel like there's going to be writers that'll you know, there's always the excuse whether it's longevity just, or there's somebody did conversation to those nonsensical yeah. writers. Somebody didn't you know? vote Derek Jeter in as a Hall of Famer, so like somebody wasn't very good. I yeah, that's true. That somebody one. is not going to put Buster Posey in the Hall of Fame. My my bigger question when I heard this was why now? And I know we dealt with injuries this season, but apparently know, he wants to be home. I, I think a lot of it was. Uh, his family last year, he was able to spend so much time with him because he, he did opt out of the season for the 2020 season. And I'm guessing he was like, I, I just want to do one more and then Good I want to stay at home again. Good for him. I'm, I'm sure that's not an easy decision, especially seeing the Giants kind of rise through the rankings this season and become a team that nobody expected to. So that's it's got to be a really difficult decision, but good for him to be able to say it and stick with it. But It um, does change how I look at the Giants going into next oh year, God, by the way. Yeah. Oh, I don't, the Giants aren't going to be as good of a team this year as they were. There's no way. Unless you alter, but I don't know what catcher you go out there and alter Buster Posey with. Because they've only got one piece back from those three in the offense, and that's yeah. Crawford because Belt's a free agent, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm they're missing some pitchers, too, because Gossman's a I free agent. four of their five starters yeah. are free agents. They're going to be a tough season. team next year. And they've got some of those platoon options that are both free agents and guys that might be looking to get more playing time next year. It's it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle all of this. What they did in 2021 was super special, and it was unique, um, but it, it's hard to continue that. Tanner, we got some breaking news. We got breaking news? Oh, my gosh. Hold on. Was breaking news? Yes, he's not retiring. He's coming back. No, he's still retired. Oh. Uh, the breaking news that Matt Carpenter and Carlos Martinez are officially free agents. That wasn't worth the sounder. That really was. That was worth a T-Bones breaking the okay. sounder. Well, Thanks according to Major League Baseball, uh, six new players have been added to the free agent list as of right now. Uh, they have all had their options declined. It is Matt Carpenter, Carlos Martinez. Those are the two representatives for the Cardinals. Uh, there are two more on here from Seattle, including Kyle Seeger. And then two guys that I would like to ask you guys about. Tyler Clippard of the Diamondbacks and Jake Diekman of the Oakland A's. 
two relievers. Clippard is a righty, but Jake Diekman is a lefty. He's 35 years old next year, and he had a 3.9 ERA last season for the A's. This is a guy that I would definitely be interested in if I am the Cardinals going into this offseason. Is Tyler Clippard the one that wears the goggles? He is indeed. Okay, I'll take him instead. (laughs) Okay. He's a hard thrower, and last year, uh, I'm guessing he had injury issues. i got to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know what specifically they were, but he only threw 25 innings last season. You weren't season. keeping up with the Diamondbacks? I didn't have they were my, great, uh, man. Lost season? Uh, a great Before bottom. I'm going to go Jake Diekman, I think I'd be looking at Sean Doolittle. Uh, if you. I'm going lefties, I'm going Sean Doolittle, I think, first. That's my boy. I could get behind any of these. Yeah. You just want the guy with glasses or goggles. Didn't I you do, say, love, didn't I do you say, love me some goggles. Didn't you say Diekman had walk issues? A little bit. He, yeah, you know what? I've been through that experiment. He's gonna, he's no gonna, thanks. Oh, he's going to omit that statistic for yeah, you. He walks like 14% of the batters oh, that he faces. That, that'll add into the 86% that already walks pitcher or hitters. It's fine. Everything's fine. His biggest issue last year was the home run rate that went against him. Oh, and he's not going to have that issue here in St. Louis. No, but he might have it on the road. Yeah, but, I mean, the the Reds stink. The Cubs yeah. stink. How many road games are they really going to be playing this year? Yeah, let's be honest, like 81. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up at 15 minutes, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But next, Ben Albright's been all over the Rams relocation <laughs> lawsuit. At what point does he expect that the NFL would offer St. Louis an expansion team in any sort of settlement? We'll talk to him about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big time. Pointed in Tanner Hendrickson, who didn't update this Texas football story. What happened in it? So remember Pole Assassin? Yeah, and her and her, uh, her play monkey. Yep. Her monkey bit apparently a child. It's a horrible, horrible story. Post pole dancing. Of course, her, hu- her husband, boyfriend. I'm not really sure what the specific relations are, but he left his previous wife. He is now the assistant head coach and special teams coordinator for Texas football. And he's the highest paid special teams coordinator in the country. Um, well, he is in, entangled in all of this story. And the Texas football coach, Steve Sarkeesian, said that that story is not a distraction at all and that it's a personal matter. So I never want to hear football coaches ever talk about distractions ever again, because if this ain't one, then there is no distraction. Let me That's guess, you wanted the breaking news sounder for that one? I would have liked it, but yeah. I understand you didn't even put it in your update, so you didn't think that it was a particularly big story. It's embarrassing. We will move on. Benjamin Albright is an NFL insider for KOA out in Denver, Colorado. You can follow him on Twitter at Albright NFL, one of the best NFL insiders in the business. And he joins us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Ben, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks for joining us today. I wanted to talk to you about the St. Louis relocation suit. Uh, What's the latest as far as you know it with what's taking place right now? Well, I I mean, you know, the the, the NFL and the league has, uh, kind of been stymied almost every step of the way in this lawsuit. They, they've lost just about every uh, every angle they've tried to pursue, and I can tell you internally, there's a lot of worry. Um, Stan Kroenke had originally promised the owners that you know he would cover the legal expenses, and now he's balking at that, and the other owners are upset um, that uh, that he's kind of moving away from his word on that. 
the league is concerned about the outlying ramifications, thanks to, and there are people who can better explain the legal aspects of this than me, but thanks to the laws there in Missouri, uh, you know, the league could ultimately be on the hook for a verdict as high as 8 to $12 billion, uh, which would be $12 billion would be roughly 75% of uh, of, of operational revenue that the NFL brings in yearly. So um, that would be a, a, a major problem. Um, but as it stands right now, the NFL is like trying to prepare some contingencies behind the scenes. Uh, what, what would be appropriate settlement offers? What are the options and, and doing exploratory things on that? Now, Benjamin, I, I know that more would have to come out with this one, but uh, you know everything that we've been hearing in terms of, of the local side of this, that if St. Louis were to get an expansion team, a lot more that would have to come with it, like a stadium being built and basically basically everything handed to them on, on a golden platter. Uh, would the NFL even consider that in a settlement like this? Because that's got to be more than what uh, the settlement would come down to if it went deeper, wouldn't it? Potentially. Um, I think you have to start, you know, I think you have to explore that option if you're the league and, and they are, they're, you know, they're looking at what the options are, what the financial ramifications are, and what's in the best interest of the league, because ultimately it comes down to money. Uh, the bottom line is the bottom line with the league. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, I, I, I know that they're looking into those options. I know one of the things that was floated out at the owners meeting recently was the potential for expansion. Uh, they know they want to get to 18 games here in a season soon. And, you know, having 36 teams sort of gives you a more more round number uh, since 18 is half of 36 uh, with re- regard to scheduling. Uh, they, so, you know, the four sites that had been thrown up there as potential expansion sites to, to begin with would be London, Toronto, San Antonio, and then possibly St. Louis. So um, that was, that was tabled, that was put out there. They're, they're in the exploratory phase on that stuff. So that's not something that's like coming soon. That's in the, is this feasible? Is this financially viable? Uh, and is this something that if those things are true that we want to pursue if we're talking about a settlement that's i mean it's been speculated who knows what it could ultimately be ben but if we're talking about 10 plus billion dollars is that something the league could do financially right now I mean, they can do it. Uh, you know, they, they're physically able to do it in that regard. Is it something that they want to do? Absolutely not. Um, and, and I think they would work, you know, if it, if it came down to just money, I think they would work to try to use that as a deferred payment plan over a set number of years. Um, like I said, it is something they, they definitely are fully capable of doing, but uh, it, it not in a lump sum, that, that seems unlikely. In that case, Ben... How much leverage does St. Louis have in these negotiations? If the NFL decides, hey, we want to settle this, we do not want to go through with trial, uh, how much leverage does the city have? Well, um, they would have a lot. I mean, if the, if the NFL doesn't want to go to trial, then, you know, the, the city of St. Louis is, I, I, I would believe, be holding all the cards. You would say, here's what we want, uh, or else we're going to trial. So, uh, yes, the city of St. Louis would have a lot of leverage. Benjamin, the other thing that was interesting was kind of what took place a couple of weeks ago, I believe, where it seemed like there was some um, internal battling going on between Stan Kroenke and some of the other owners because of everything that has taken place with this, and now Kroenke trying to back away from these uh, these lawsuit payments. Could that be the downfall of all of this more so than other NFL owners basically not backing Stan Kroenke anymore? That would contribute to to it, and I can tell you that most of the ownership around the league is mad at him, uh, with the with the uh, exception of a couple of owners. But Kroenke has a pretty powerful alliance with Jerry Jones, that, that helps him out a lot. Um, 
I would say that the you know the larger aspect here is that these NFL owners and and the NFL in particular does not want to be subject to opening up their emails, opening up financial disclosures, things like that, uh, to public scrutiny. And I, I would say the city of St. Louis has larger leverage with that as a pressure point than Stan Kroenke not want to pay people's attorney fees. Benjamin, what's the next couple of months look like? We're now what is it, sixty days away from this trial officially beginning? From from where you stand, what do you? expects to see uh, over the next two months? Uh, I would expect the league through an intermediary to call the city of St. Louis about some kind of settlement. You know, deadline spur action as we get closer and closer, you'll start to see that ramp. I don't think the NFL wants to go to trial. I think with every loss they've taken so far, um, that they, they really just don't want to go to trial. They definitely don't want a lot of this stuff out in the public domain, uh, especially with the league, you know, sort of, uh, and I'll use the term recovering here, even though it's not really true, uh, the way that they have over the last couple of years. You know, you look at the, the increased fees from broadcast rights. You look at the way that the ratings have gone up over the last few years. Last thing they want is uh, is, is to do something that will that will harm the product as a whole. So, you know, I think that they're going to really, really push to try to settle and find something amicable and equitable that works. That said, um, I think that their their alternative plan is if it goes to trial, find grounds to try to appeal whatever the, the, the potential loss may be uh, rather than hand over uh, a judgment at that point. Ben- Benjamin, is there something that can happen to basically force the NFL into saying, like, we have to settle, there's no other options? No, I don't, I don't think there's anything that could force them to do that. I, I think that the ownership and, and you know as a whole doesn't want it to go to trial. And again, a lot of that has to do with the, the disclosures they don't want to be public. Um, you know, that could be damaging to the brand. So I, I don't think there's anything that, that air quotes forces them to. Um, but I, I think that that's the major pressure point. Final question that I've got for Benjamin Albright, NFL Insider for KOA Radio out in Denver, Colorado. Benjamin, the the best case scenario for the NFL, within realism, of course, is what? And the best case scenario in this for St. Louis is what? Uh, The best case scenario for St. Louis is uh, either the NFL coming to them and, you know, uh, saying here, you know, we've we've figured out we're going to lose this. So we're offering this lump sum cash settlement, which gives St. Louis an actionable position to counter with all kinds of different things or for St. Louis uh, for it to go to trial and the NFL loses. Those those are the two best outcomes for St. Louis. Uh, The best outcome for the NFL, um, you know, you offer them – you offer them an expansion franchise uh, and offer to cover some of the fees as far as the stadium and that kind of stuff goes. And, and ultimately, as the NFL, you start banking revenue back from that franchise um, you know, into the collective pot. So uh, settling for, a fran- for an expansion team actually sort of long-term should work out in the NFL's favor as long as it's monetarily viable. The other, uh, the other win for the NFL would be going to trial and either winning or going to trial and then appealing and winning, uh, which seems a lot unlikely at this point. Interesting. He's Benjamin Albright. Follow him on Twitter. He's got great work over there and on KOA Radio in Denver at Albright, A-L-L-B-R-I-G-H-T-N-F-L. Benjamin, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Take care. Absolutely. That's Benjamin Albright joining us here on 101 ESPN. That last thing is what I find so interesting, Alex. It, It seems like it's possible. The best case scenario for the league right now, and this is what Benjamin just told us, is to settle and give St. Louis a team. If that's the best case scenario for them, let's make everybody happy. And let's just go ahead and get that done. 
Uh, you guys can go ahead and give St. Louis an expansion team. You guarantee that it's going to be here for at least the next hundred years. You pay for our stadium. You pay for our practice facility. Let's just go ahead and get that done. And by 2031, the city of St. Louis is one of maybe it's two, maybe it's four expansion teams that are taking place around the league. So they can go to a 18 game schedule. Bada boom, bada bing. We're ready to go. Yeah, seems easy uh, enough. It right? seems perfectly easy. The only problem is, you know, the city of St. Louis might be standing in the way of all of this. That's the part that you'll have to figure out. Yes, I did find it interesting. Yesterday, uh, Randy yeah. talked with, I think it was the Tashara uh, Jones. mayor, and she she didn't say no. Like, I, I, if you read her actual quote, so Randy Carricker tweeted out yesterday at his name, asked Mayor Jones this morning if she would accept a franchise as part of a settlement. She said lots of questions would need to be answered about an owner to start. She was noncommittal and noted that she was against the financing that kept the Rams team here. And her dad also voted against the Dome. Asked if the NFL would have to build a stadium. She said, I'm not building any stadiums. Uh, And then he said, he added... Uh, also spoke with a source with close ties to NFL ownership, asked him about the NFL offering a franchise. He said, quote, not in a million years. So that's what I have today. Uh, first of all, that's what the source has to say. You, you, if you're right. the NFL. It's a lawsuit. And, you can't say anything that goes into that. Yeah, because, well, not only that, you have no leverage. Mm-hmm. Like the If you say, yeah, we would love to offer them a franchise. Well, then if Game, I'm St. Louis, match. cool, offer us a franchise. But then what else are you going to do? Yeah. Because this clearly is something that you don't mind yeah, doing. Because you, we already got the franchise. Now you're going to offer us another $5 billion on top of it. Exactly. So when he asked Mayor Jones if she would accept the franchise, she was noncommittal. That's not a no. I think that's the important thing to read there is read only not only what she said, but also what she didn't say. It's very easy for her to say, yeah, no, we're not interested in that. If it is true 100% mm-hmm. with certainty that St. Louis will not accept an expansion franchise. She did not do that. She did not put all of this to rest which I think is super important in this conversation. Yeah, I think that's very important. I mean, she could have just basically come out and said no, but you also go, if you're going to go the same retrospect of the NFL owner insider that helped with Randy's piece on that, the mayor's going to say the same thing because they do know it's an ongoing lawsuit. Well, unless she legitimately is not interested in a team, in which case it it loses no leverage for you. I guess that's true. If you're not interested in having one, well, then that's a non-starter in any negotiation, and you could say it publicly because you're also saying it privately right now. Um, So I I find it interesting that she did not say no in that specific instance. So I appreciate Benjamin Albright for joining us today. If you missed it, he said best-case scenario for the NFL in his mind in this settlement, uh, if there is one, would be the Rams offering St. Louis a an expansion team. He said for St. Louis, the best-case scenario would be billions upon billions of dollars in a potential settlement. So that is the latest from Benjamin Albright. We are about two months now away from any trial. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, CBS Sports thinks that it might be one of the shortstops this year that has to take the Marcus Simeon deal. We'll tell you who that is at 12 o'clock. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Alex, what did you say to us in the in the break? What's going on here? You're telling me that the Cardinals are signing Carlos Correa? 
Oh, do I need to do the breaking news sound? Yeah, give me the breaking news sound. Breaking news! No, he's not signing Carlos Correa, so oh. it was cited on a Buster-only piece. Well, this is on Bleacher Report, but they're ah. basically... Oh, oh, ah! Sorry, BK is the article snub over here. ESPN's Buster only listed the Tigers, Yankees, Seattle Mariners, and Texas Rangers as potential landing spots. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic also mentioned the Angels, Phillies, and Cardinals as possibilities. Mm. So the Cardinals are signing Carlos Correa, is what you're saying. Well, I mean, he does have a connection to his Houston Astros days. He's going to sign with the Tigers and A.J. Hinch. Why wouldn't he sign with the Cardinals and Jeff Albert? Ah, good point. Good point. He probably wants to work with their former minor league hitting coordinator. Went through the minor leagues to get to the big leagues, didn't he? I, I think you're right. I think you're right. That's probably the thing that's going to bring him here to St. Louis. You are a smartass. Uh, that's correct. Scale of one to ten, where's your optimism on the Cardinals going after Carlos Correa? After this report, I guess we'll call it. Wow. What we're going to go by based what on a, what my number is here. I can tell you it's going to be the same as what we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. What a damn <laughs> okay. jerk. So seven. Zero. I can scale of one to ten. Oh, sorry. Three. How Where's the hell your- you go from zero to three? <laughs> well, you, you, you know, don't do zero, you one do to, one. One to ten's a little bit bigger than zero to five. You gotta like double and add a point five to that. So double zero is three? <laughs> exactly, thank you. You didn't take many math classes in college. Yeah. No, you did not. I don't like to answer your questions anymore because <laughs> you have a, a sarcastic tone to yourself that I'm uh, not not pleased with today. Fair enough. 65780 is your comfort service text line for questions and Hell, answers. I'll put a five on it. Okay, I'm at a one. Uh, from the three. 314. <laughs> hey, guys, I saw earlier today that Jack Eichel has officially been traded to the Vegas Golden Knights. Can you please explain to me like I'm five how they're going to make this work with the salary cap? How are that? How is this going to happen? Well, one player will be injured for four to six months, so then they'll put him on LTIR, and then when the playoffs start and salary cap doesn't matter, it's like whose line is it anywhere? Everything's made up and the points don't matter. They'll put him on the uh, LTIR. They'll pull the old Kucherov deal, and then Jack Eichel That's makes his reference. debut in the playoffs. I know, love that show. And then in the off season, they'll start being a terrible organization once again and start selling off pieces without telling them. Fair. They They're are using $20 million of LTIR. They are the most poor run franchise, I think, right now in the NHL. I mean, they might win the cup this year. No, they will not win the cup this year because they have $72 million credited to four forwards, two defensemen, and a goaltender. I'm sorry, six forwards, three defensemen, players? and a goaltender. I don't know. Are they good players right now? Yeah. Look. Somebody tweeted out earlier today, their top six went healthy. Probably the best top six in hockey with Stone, Eichel, and Pacioretty, Riley, Smith, and Marcia That's really good. Really great. <laughs> That's absurd. But you know what it takes to win a Stanley Cup? Four lines, lines. three pairs of defensemen, and two goaltenders. And you know what Vegas doesn't have? Yeah, a goal backup tenders. goaltender, a bottom pair defense, and two forward lines that can actually do the job for oh, you. Yeah, you know what St. Louis doesn't have? A top four defenseman. <laughs> oh, Jesus. How many goals they've given up this season? No idea. Top five and least amount, just nope. so you're curious. They, their opponents have no. been this, injury, this, injury radled. On top of the fact that Vegas riddled? injury injury radled. radled. <laughs> Yikes. Zero to three, right? Yes. On top Type of the fact five. that they're throwing just useless amount of money to people and, and not looking at the longevity of their organization, they've also taken a massive blow to their team chemistry. 
I mean, we talked so much about last year, the team chemistry and how important it was. You traded away two locker room guys that everyone loved in Ryan Reeves and Marc-Andre Fleury. You've walked away from a couple of players that individuals really like, and you've brought in new faces. There's a new group of players in there. You're trying to build new chemistry in the middle of a season, and it's not going to work. My biggest concern is that Eichel just is never the same guy again. It has less to do with the, the chemistry stuff and more to do with, I have no idea what he's going to look like after this surgery because we've never seen it before in the NHL. He's getting something that has no precedent. Um, so I, I get why Buffalo was hesitant to do so. And I, I think that's probably why the return was so low in this deal too, right? You just don't know what it's going to look like. Were you surprised when you saw what the return was? Yeah, Alex? I thought it was a terrible return. I, I mean, if the rumors were to be true, and now they're coming out that Calgary never had Matthew Kachuk on the table last night. And I, I don't know where the miscommunication was because Kevin Weeks put it out there, and Kevin Weeks just doesn't throw things out there. But it was rumored from the Calgary side to be Matthew Kachuk or Sean Monahan, a first-round draft pick, a former first-round draft pick, and a former second-round draft pick, and then a couple of picks. That's a steal, in my opinion. And for you to trade Alex Tuck, who was injured, a really good player, but not an elite player, a first-round draft pick where, look, Vegas is struggling right now, but if Vegas gets to be any better, the first-round pick's maybe going to be bottom 15 in the NHL, which doesn't do you any good. So I, I don't really know what Buffalo's trying to do there other than just find somebody to take on the full $10 million. Maybe that was the holdup in Calgary. If they were going to give that much of a haul, they weren't going to take any, or they weren't going to retain the whole salary. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Hey guys, it looks like it's official today that all the Cardinals uh, have officially become free agents. Which of them would you most like to bring back next year? Of all of the Cardinals that have officially hit free agency, who would you most want to bring back in 2022? Tanner, is there a guy that immediately comes to mind for you? I think Luis Garcia is number one for me. And I, I would be willing to give him $5 million and maybe maybe just a little bit more than that if I had to because I think I'm a big believer in if you have success somewhere that you and you've struggled elsewhere, that you're going to continue to have success in that spot. And I think the Cardinals unlocked something with Luis Garcia, so I think he's still going to be as effective as he was when he came to St. Louis last year. He's probably number one for me. Number two, I would say probably John Lester. Here's your list, by the way, of guys that have officially become free agents from the Cardinals. It's KK, Luis Garcia, as Tanner mentioned, Jay Happ, John Lester, TJ McFarland, Andrew Miller, Wade LeBlanc, Carlos Martinez, and Matt Carpenter. Those are your uh, list of free agents officially as of today. Interestingly enough, Luis Garcia and Carlos Martinez, the only righties on that list. Yeah, I don't know if I'm bringing back Luis Garcia for how much money he's probably going to command and on top of it, the age that goes into it. Uh, I, I think your bigger need right now is some lefties. So I'd be looking at, as much as I loved John Lester, I don't think I'd bring him back. I'd be looking at either a, a Hap, a LeBlanc, or a TJ McFarland. And I think I'd be leaning more towards LeBlanc or McFarland because they could be bullpen guys for I you. I mentioned this with Danny Mack today. If it's less than $5 million, I think I, my number one player on this list would be Luis Garcia. But if it gets up above that, that's where I think I go with you, Alex, and I would be, I would be talking about TJ McFarland. I think he's going to be pretty cheap. He is peripheral numbers, so the lack of strikeouts that he had last year, um, the, the ground ball rates, it doesn't necessarily play as well away from St. Louis where you don't have the infield that the Cardinals do. 
Um, I I think he's the type of guy you could get for like a million bucks next year. Vet minimum type of a deal. So he would be right up at or near the top of the list for me. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 15 minutes or so, Tory Krug was awesome last night. Was that the best game we've seen from him in a Blues uniform? We'll talk about that at 12.15. But next, CBS Sports says this shortstop might have to settle for the uh, Marcus Simeon deal this offseason. We'll tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. What do they believe that they can afford and what is their flexibility going to be? Because they've got, I think, right around $70 million coming off the books after this season. Like you'll, you'll have some significant cash that is off the books. Do you feel like you can spend it there? Do you feel like you need to add an arm? So where are they at as an organization with this? That's the key. That was BT about a month ago talking about the Cardinals' upcoming decision at the shortstop position with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 12.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The big question is who or what are they willing to spend on in free agency? And Alex, as I was reading on CBS Sports yesterday, you know how this works. We're into the offseason now, which means that everybody's speculating on what the free agents will look like. CBS Sports wrote about Trevor Story. And this part of their breakdown for him uh, got me got me intrigued. They said, factor in the lingering concerns about his home road splits. And over the last three years, his OPS was more than 200 points higher at Coors Field than it was on the road. And the bloated shortstop market this offseason. And he might end up having to serve as this winter's Marcus Simeon, settling for a pillow contract before landing on the mattress next year, end quote. Now, the Marcus Simeon deal was a one-year contract worth about $18 million with the Blue Jays this past season. If that's what we're talking about, and maybe it's more than that, maybe it's one year and $22, 23000000 million. So he gets a little more than Simeon did a year ago. Is this the obvious move for the Cardinals this offseason is to just go out there, get Trevor Story, and then kind of run this back again next offseason? I don't know if that's the obvious choice because then you're going to put yourself in a really bad spot because he's going to want more money if he has a really good season like Marcus Simeon does. And then what's your long-term answer for shortstop? Because you probably have moved on from Paul DeYoung. Is Edmundo Sosa your everyday guy? I don't know what that shortstop market's going to look like next season, but I can't imagine it's going to look as illustrious as this one does. So uh, as much as that would be a steal of getting a guy like Trevor Story for one year at $18 million and he goes off, what are you going to do past that then? Because as we mentioned yesterday, you don't have a whole lot of shortstop options coming up in your in your minor league system. So I'd be a little hesitant about that. Yeah, that's, that's where I am too, is I would be oh, kind of really? hesitant on a one-year deal because you don't have a guy in the system to replace him when when that deal comes up and if you move on then you're back to square one now if this was and I think the other thing that plays into this in my opinion too is to me this is the beginning of the winning window I expect the Cardinals to be very competitive and be contenders for the National League pennant next year but I don't know if I believe they're the world they're the World Series favorite or should be viewed as a World Series favorite they should be viewed as a World Series contender but not the favorite if we were talking about this as year two, year three of this window, and we've gotten a chance to see what Nolan Gorman, Wanya Paz are going to contribute to this team, then I would say, yeah, if I just need that one-year kind of rental piece in the Trevor Story that really takes me over the top, then I'm all for it. I think they, if you sign Trevor Story to a one-year deal, it makes you better for this year. You continue to sit right there around that National League pennant talk, if World Series contender. 
but it doesn't put you over the top of someone like the Dodgers, in my opinion. And then the following year is just another offseason of uncertainty. So if I'm going to sign a shortstop, a top-end shortstop, I want a multi-year deal. That way I can solidify that position for years to come. What if it's, I mean, your options might be this offseason, one year or eight years. And the Cardinals don't go eight years on contracts. Like they just they refuse to do it more often than not. It's it's been rare that they were willing to offer those. You would rather punt on shortstop. Like if you're, let me ask it another way. If your option this offseason is to go one year on Trevor Story or not get any of the free agent shortstops, you would rather punt at shortstop this offseason than go in on the one year deal with Trevor Story. Because that's probably your option. Like you, you could probably it, it's probably going to be you get Trevor Story or you go out there and sign one of the bats. If that's the case, then I would take Trevor Story. But I'm kind of with Andy McColl, who said it when he was on the Dame Actual with BK. Uh, why not go get someone else? You're a big, bigger market team. You pay because your payroll. I know, but they shouldn't have that mindset if they're going to go into a winning window. They should lock up a position that they clearly have no solution for. Yeah, and you've been bragging about having this depth for so long of guys who can help off of the bench and you're going to use the youth as a part of this. Okay, well then, if that's the case and those guys are going to be cost efficient, why aren't you spending the money to go get a guy long term? I just don't, I don't believe that those are my options of who you get one year of Trevor Story or you punt on a bat, like no, you punt on shortstop. You could go get a bat. Maybe it's Kyle Schwarber, uh, whoever your favorite of the guys that we've talked. Nick Castellanos just officially became a free agent today. You could still go out there and get a, a really good player that helps you. But but you're going to sign one of those guys to a big contract probably. Yeah, but it's more in the four or five-year deal. You might be able to get one of these shortstops in that window. I mean, maybe. I think if you wait out the market, and especially if this comes down to kind of a blitz of just two to three weeks because of the CBA, I I think some guys will look to try and I don't think these guys are going to have the leverage of, oh, there's only two weeks till spring training. I need to sign. You need to give me an eight-year deal. No, if that becomes the case, I expect the whole shortstop market to be taking lower deals in terms of years. And if you you think you can get started on one year 18, and maybe he wouldn't want to do a two, three-year deal, but try and get that completed try and make it two to three years of around 18 million dollars a year let me frame this differently if i told you your options are carlos correa Corey seager at eight years uh marcus simeon has re-signed with toronto so he's not an option for you here in st louis he wanted to stay with with the blue jays he liked the situation there uh javi baez ended up going out and signing elsewhere so your option is trevor story on a one-year deal worth 20 to 23 million dollars i don't know what the exact dollar figure is going to be maybe let's say 20 just to make it a little cheaper so that way we uh we get that off the table 20 million dollars for trevor story or you can go out there and sign one of those other bats in that four to five year range in in that scenario you guys aren't interested in story because it's a one-year stopgap because here's where i'm coming from on this the reason why i would be all in on this deal and i actually think it's the best case scenario for the cardinals going into the offseason is that you You have now solved your biggest question going into next year. Yes, it is a one-year rental, and you don't know what it's going to look like after that. It very well may be that he has a fantastic season and ends up signing for big money afterwards. But at that point in time, he's going to be 31 years old going into the market, which we've seen. That's typically the range where teams are giving out four- or five-year deals instead of the seven- to nine-year deals, like for Correa and Seager, who are 27 and 28 years old right now. So the the market changes dramatically for those guys once they get up a little bit older. Um, And so I still think that the Cardinals could maybe re-sign him next offseason. The other thing is, Alex, you asked me, why wouldn't the Cardinals do this? It's their philosophy. 
Uh, whether I agree with it or not doesn't much matter, but they don't sign those big money deals for eight plus years because they view it as the term, not the money per year. They view it as an extra hundred million dollars over those last four years, as opposed to as twenty five million dollars per year. Um, the the other thing to keep in mind, we talked about this a few weeks ago. There's only like two other teams in baseball next year that are expected to have three contracts on the books for twenty five plus million dollars per year. And I just don't know that I expect the Cardinals to be in that category next season. I think they could be. They're set up well to maybe be one of those teams because of those young players like you're talking about. But I, I just don't know that they view themselves as being that kind of a team moving forward. So if Story is willing to take the one-year pillow contract, you you fix that issue for next season. You have the depth that's able to cover at DH and as your bench bats coming off of there and maybe you go out and spend $10 million on a starter and you get a couple of guys on the cheap for your bullpen to shore things up there. That would be my ideal free agency this offseason. But in in that scenario, you guys would still be out on Trevor's story. I don't think I'm out on Trevor's story. I just think you're going to have more problems down the road. He looks great now, but what are you going to do after that? I figure it out. Like maybe you end up with at next year, if story prices himself out of your market and this year, he's so damn good. And by the way, if he is, you might win the world series as a result of that. Like if he's so good that he prices himself out of your market, he's getting five years and $150 million next year. And you don't want to end up paying that. Uh, he must've had a tremendous season here in St. Louis. But at that point in time, whether it be at Mundo Sosa, that's starting for you at shortstop in 2022, maybe you bump Tommy Edmond over to that spot and you have him platoon with somebody. I think you just figure it out on the fly. Um, but again, that's that's only the case if he's really, really good. And if he's really bad, by the way, next year, and you don't end up bringing him back because you don't want him to be your starting shortstop, that becomes a, a really good situation for you as well, where you weren't locked in on a seven-year contract as opposed to what it could have been for one of those other guys. I guess. I just, for me, I, I don't think you want to go year after year sitting here wondering what are we going to do about this massive position when you have five or six guys that are available to you. And I get it. You don't want to give a long-term extension. That's the Cardinals' philosophy. I, I just think you might want to start shifting that philosophy because this has been an issue for a really long time. And it hasn't always been shortstop. It was third base for a really long time. And then they finally went out there and they got somebody to fix it. Same with first base. You can't go season after season after season with a massive hole and sit here and say, oh, well, we'll figure it out with what we got. That's not going to lead you to a recipe of success. I don't want to enter the winning window with a hole in a boat and I'm trying to plug it with duct tape for year after year and then eventually at some point it just doesn't work out and we don't find an actual shortstop that works out and that becomes an issue. I'm with Alex. I want to solve it and I want to solve it now and I want to solve it on a multi-year basis. Solve but it the what way I'm saying you solve is that it. might not be an option. And, and that's, I, that's I guess that's if that's not an option then I think they're approaching the winning window wrong I mean if you're really going to view this as a winning window for 2022 we've talked about it you got to reach the puke point and I feel like this is the offseason to do it and I get it that maybe that's not what the Cardinals do but in my opinion if this is the winning window and you're going to make this run in the next two to three years you're going to have to reach the puke point at some time I think this, why not now I think the puke point might be we might have to get uncomfortable next offseason we might have to be in a situation where we have solved this issue for us for at least a year. And it might be our long-term answer. Trevor Story could be the answer for St. Louis at the shortstop position. But you're mitigating your risk by only giving him that one-year deal. Um, you, you're, you're not extending beyond your means for 2023 
and beyond, you're allowing yourself to find out what does this guy look like right now? He had an elbow injury a year ago. I don't know that I want to sign up for that long term. He had more errors last year defensively than he had the two previous seasons combined. Uh, Offensively, he had the worst year of his career. I I don't know what that's going to look like in 2022, but the upside is really high. He might be a 35 home run guy for you. And if he hits that, okay, maybe we sign him to a five-year deal worth $125 million after the season. And he's our long-term answer. So to your point, what do you do afterwards? You might resign him and he might be the answer that you guys are talking about. But if he's not, okay, then I need to go find another option. And maybe they do trade for somebody or they uh, go internally. Maybe Mason Wynn is closer than we think by 2023. Maybe he's the answer and you just have to go through one season without having a a clear-cut, obvious answer there. Um, But if my options are go out there and spend wildly like a drunken sailor on Carlos Correa or Corey Seager or get this guy that I think could be really good for me on a one-year deal where, yeah, it might hurt afterwards – I think that's my my puke point for the Cardinals, where I would say, okay, between those two options, I think it's pretty clear which one's better for me right now, um, and it would be Trevor's story. But this is interesting. I, I'm I'm actually surprised to hear that you guys are on the other side of this. I would have assumed um, that you were you would have been on board with a one year contract. I, I think that changes a little bit about how we're talking about this offseason. So it, what what I'm hearing then is you guys are more all in on the top two guys and almost set aside the rest of the market. I'm not sure I'm in on the top two guys. I'm just more in on, I think you need to find a permanent fix rather than a fix that's just one season for you. Because if you're going into a winning window, if you're trying to be aggressive, if you're trying to be a World Series contender and win multiple championships or get there multiple times, you can't do that by saying, well, we'll go every year and figure out what we're going to do at shortstop. Yeah, and I I guess my point on this is I'm signing the one-year deal hoping that I've got my answer. For one year hoping that it's long-term, but we don't know yet because I I don't know what he looks like outside of Coors. I don't know where his injury uh, situation is right now. Yeah. I, I think I think I'm in on a story contract, but I would want it to be two, three years, so I have at least... And I don't think two to three years, if it's going to be around the $18, 23000000 million, I don't think that's a butte point for the Cardinals, but I do think that that, that gives me a little bit more comfort, comfort heading into the season with him on a two, three, four-year deal rather than just one because, like you said, if he does ultimately end up pricing himself out of the market, sure, I, there's a chance that he win the World Series this year, which is great, but then if he's out of the market, we don't win the World Series, we're back to square where we started and where we don't have someone at shortstop. And that's why I look at it, and in my opinion, they should be willing to go in on this. I, I am the believer they should go in on the top two guys. In my opinion, Seager should be the guy that they are pushing for because – I, you said it, Alex, and I've kind of gone along with it since then, was you cannot find a star bat like this in the middle of a season. I can always allocate the allocation of the funds and trying to get depth pieces. I can find that in the regular season. The Braves proved that. The Astros proved that with their bullpen. That's why I am more on the side of let's load up on maybe potentially one contract and maybe that affects us in the rest of our offseason planning, but I want to get a star that is going to be at shortstop for years to come. In 15 minutes, we'll talk about the Cardinals' leadoff options for 2022. Coming up next, though, Tory Krug looks like his best game in a Blues uniform last night. What do we make of it? That's next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Back to Tarasenko. Shot on. Quick the save. Blues center. The score! Tory Krug! Tory Krug! He buries it with 7.1. 
and the St. Louis Blues have tied the game at two. That was what it sounded like right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN last night from your voice of the Blues. Chris Kerber, Blues back in action tonight against the Sharks. Late night once again, pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario beginning at 8.30. Alex, I could not have been more impressed with what we saw last night from Tory Krug. I thought it was arguably, and I would make the argument, the best game that I've seen from him since he's been in a Blues uniform. He finished the game with a goal and assist, two points overall. He was a plus one while he was on the ice. And oh, by the way, he added a hit and three blocked shots. Uh, what have you seen from him specifically last night, but overall this season that has changed from what we saw from him a year ago? Honestly, I'm seeing Justin Falk part a 2.0. Uh, he's having the same transition that Justin Falk had from year one to year two. Um, and for Tory Krugman, it's just more comfortability, I think, than anything, where he doesn't feel like he's trying to figure out who he is on the team. I think he's starting to realize that he's a massive part of this team. He's shooting the puck a lot more. I think he's fourth right now on the team in terms of shots on net um, behind Tarasenko, Perron, and Justin Falk. Uh, so that shows you right there that he's going back to the Tory Krug of old. Um, but on top of it, I mean, he's a point-per-game player right now. He's jumping up into the rush. Honestly, he looks like the guy that was in the Norris Trophy conversations when he was with the Boston Bruins. And I'm not saying he's going to be a Norris Trophy winner this season, but what he's doing now is what he was doing when this team was going on their cup runs in Boston to where he was just he was connecting on another level with his offensive forwards. On the power play, he seemed to just command the respect of the ice when the puck was on his stick and and frankly he's utilizing his speed to his advantage so he's matching really well to the blue system and I think he and Justin Falk combined no coincidence that both of those guys are on a pairing together they're starting to transition the identity of the blue line for the blues for the better yeah he's been excellent so far this year it's it's the shots it's the way that he's able to command a game defensively i think he's been better he's been more comfortable this year than he was a year ago and i i view him as a stre- a, a piece of what the strength of the team is now and last year i thought he was a liability a lot of the time when he was out there on the ice especially in 5 on 5 situations i do not feel that way at all last night I remember hearing from we we played the clip yesterday. Craig Berube talking about Justin Falk, how he's he's commanding the game. He is controlling the game in a way Justin Falk was that Chris Pronger used to. I'm certainly not going to compare Tory Krug to Chris Pronger. No, they couldn't be more different Al as McKenna's. players. Um, but no, I, I like wouldn't do it. that either. Um, but Tory Krug is also controlling the puck possession while he's out there. He's jumping up into the rush. And uh, there are moments when he's like right by the net, which has been strange to watch at times this year. It's been beautiful, man. And I, I'll i be the first to admit it. I didn't see this coming. I thought after last year, it, it might be their best option to, if they could find a good trade for him, maybe trade him in the offseason season. I couldn't have been more wrong about that. He's been great to start this season thus far. Yeah, well, and he's the reason why this power play is second best in the National Hockey League in another night where they only get one power play and they score on it. Like, you're not even seeing the second power play unit right now. Like, if you look at the time on ice splits in terms of power play, the second unit's maybe seeing 45 seconds per opportunity, maybe, because the Blues are either scoring on theirs or they're all, their first unit is so dominant that they're out on the ice. And Panger was on with the morning show yesterday, uh, and I used this on pregame last night, and I apologize I didn't pull it for today like I told you I would. But Panger mentioned 
Tory Krug and the connection that he had with David Pasternak and Patrice Bergeron, where it just felt like he always knew where those guys were and they knew where he was. And that's what created such a dominant power play. That's what Tory Krug's starting to get right now with, with Vladimir Tarasenko, with Ryan O'Reilly, with David Perron, with his two main shooters on the power play unit. And, and when he's able to utilize that, it changes the game. I mean, a power play unit that's top five in the National Hockey League, you're talking about a team that is competing for a top spot in their division and conference. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Uh, from the 618, guys, I need to see last night's Tory Krug for the next 10 games to be sold. I hope that's what we get, not the one that disappears. I have not seen a single game outside of last night or at I've never seen him play the way he did last night. Like there was never a moment last year in a blues uniform. I should specify there was never a moment last year where I was like, oh, wow, this looked like what we saw 12 hours ago or whatever. Um, He was great last night. You mentioned the power play success that he's had, Alex. He's shooting consistently on the power play this year. Last year, he had 18 shots over 51 games on the power play, 18 and 51 games. He has six shots this year on the power play in eight games. Yeah. He's like tripling what his and rate was a year ago. Two of those are goals off the first shot. Yeah. The Chicago one and then last night. It's been amazing. He looks like a completely different player. And I, I don't know how much of this is just him having better chemistry with his teammates. I will say this as well. I, I don't know how much stock to put in it, but his answers post game, he sounds more confident in him being able to be one of the voices of the team. Yeah. He gave real answers last night mm-hmm. where they asked him about the lack of five on five offense. And he said something that you would expect to hear from a guy like David Perron, who's an established veteran last year. I never heard anything like that from Tory Krug that I can remember. Maybe I'm misremembering something, but he, he said last night, like, Hey, we got to be comfortable going to the net and yeah, it's going to hurt, but we've got to be comfortable in doing so. That's the type of answer you'd expect from Shin or Perron or O'Reilly. And now you're getting that from Tory Krug. And we had heard that's the type of guy that he was prior to coming over here from St. Louis. But you told me all year last year that them not having those um, nights out together, grabbing the dinners, being able to get to know one another off of the ice, it had a big impact on their team. That's the kind of thing where it definitely has an impact. Him being able to have those tough conversations with teammates, I think, is important. Well, and especially because he, he is a veteran. I mean, look at how many years he's been in the league. He's been to the Stanley Cup final multiple times during his tenure with the Boston Bruins. Um, the first year when you're acquired to a new team or you sign with a new team is always strange. I mean, I go back to the Justin Falk situation, you know, like Ryan O'Reilly was a I mean, he was just a unicorn in that sense. Like he came in and he felt like he was already a part of the roster, but that's just his personality. But Justin Falk comes in in that first year and he struggles. But some of that is just your eyes are forcing you to see him struggling. I mean, Tory Krug had 30 plus points in 56 games last season. It's not a bad start to him. The problem was he was playing in a role that people didn't want him to want to see him in. He was being a shutdown defenseman as well as an offensive defenseman. And he wasn't very good last year. He wasn't very honest. good in his own end, but that's because they were playing him 23 minutes a night because Colton Pareko wasn't out there. I, I'm talking offensively as well. I, I didn't feel like last year he had a very good year. I, I thought he general. came on late mostly because of the power play. When you started to see the success coming through, that's where Tory Krug is going to be at his best, on the power play. But then when you get power play confidence, you get confidence at 5-on-5 five five, like you saw when they pulled the goaltender last night. So he was much better than I think people give him credit for last season. Was he this good? Absolutely not, because he's one of the top defenders on this team right now. 
it, it's in my opinion, it goes Colton Pareko is number one, Justin Falk is number two, but I'd have Corey Tory Krug right there with Justin Falk to the start of the season because of what he's been able to accomplish offensively. He'll try to get capture that form once again tonight. Blues versus Sharks pregame coverage on 101 ESPN beginning at 8:30 with Alex Ferrario. Puck drop coming up tonight at 9:30. A late one out on the West Coast. The junk drawer is coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, who's the Cardinals' best leadoff option next year against right-handed pitching? They've got a lot of guys that can do it against lefties. Carp. Oh, what about against the right-handed pitching? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pan. Tommy Edmond just does a lot of things that baseball players should be able to do, and he does them well. Um, you know, but he's going to have to be more selective in, in having the ability to get on base, play. Maybe you work a guy for a walk. Maybe you make a guy throw enough pitches where the guy behind you sees what he's got. And maybe he can do some damage. So it, it's a work in progress. I, I think while we have to be patient, we, we can't be passive. That was Claves before the season last year, talking with us about the Cardinals leadoff options and how it didn't feel like they had a great one going into 2021. Well, that remains the case going into 2022, at least as the team is currently configured. They got a lot of options against left-handed pitching. You want to put Harrison Bader up there? That makes some sense. You want to go with Tommy Edmond? I got no issues with that. You want to go Dylan Carlson? He'd be really good batting leadoff against left-handed pitching. But who do you go with against righties? That's the problem they have right now. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. The Cardinals see right-handed pitching roughly 70% of the time. As of today, your best options in terms of the on-base percentage against right-handed pitching from last year would be Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, the second guy on the team in on-base percentage last year against righties was Tyler O'Neill, then Dylan Carlson, finally Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado, and Yadier Molina. Guys, as of today, with the current roster construction, who would you like to see batting leadoff? Can we back the truck up a little bit here? Okay. To Harrison Bader? Yeah. You want to see Harrison Bader up there? Against lefties? I got no issues with that. Harrison Bader has been good against lefties in his career. I got issues with that all the time. I wouldn't mind. It'd be fine. <laughs> we talked about this last year. He would have made a lot of sense for them. Um, I think Tommy Edmonds still the one I would go with there. He, he he showed me something towards the end of the season and in the playoff game against Max Scherzer. I, I know the numbers don't look great against righties with him up there, but I just for some reason he just screams leadoff hitter to me for the Cardinals and and that that's gut and we all know that that's not the way that this should be going but um I, I think I would stick with Tommy Edmond right now see I kind of lean towards the experimentation of having Paul Goldschmidt as a leadoff hitter the problem is is then what happens with Tommy Edmond with the roster constructed now because you could where do you hit him do you you're not going to hit him second i don't think if you're going to move goldie up to the I think top he falls spot falls out of your top 5 then if that's what you're doing but that's where my issue lies then also is because then i have yadi in my top 5 and that's and that's something right. that the best case scenario for the cardinals and i think we can all agree on this and let's be honest i think yadi would or should agree on this as well is he's not hitting in the top 5 he's like hitting 6th or 7th so with the current roster construction i think I would still stick with Tommy Edmond because, again, I don't know where I put him if I hit Goldie first. Because if I hit Goldie first right now, I would go Goldie, Carlson, Arnado, O'Neal. 
But then again, I don't know if Edmund's really that fifth guy, and I don't think Yachty is either. So I think the best way to do it is to basically kind of do what they had at the end of the year, where it went Edmund one, Goldie, Arnado, O'Neill, and then to uh, Carlson at five. Yeah, the truth is they don't have a leadoff hitter against right-handed pitching right now, at least not as the current roster is constructed. I think for me, I would go with uh, Dylan Carlson at the top of the order. As of today, I would probably go... Carlson, Goldie, O'Neill, Arenado. That would probably be my construction. But the, the the honest to God truth is they don't have a guy. And this is the reason why I wanted to talk about this today. There's probably some people on our text line that are like, why in the world are you guys talking about their leadoff hitter when it's November 4th and we've got three months until they even report to spring training? This is important stuff, text line. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> the reason is because I think one of the top priorities this offseason, when we talk about the left-handed bench bat for the infield, the reason why it's really important is that guy's probably going to lead off for you roughly 70% of the time next year. Yikes. Like when I, when I mention Matt Duffy's name, you probably don't immediately go in your mind to Cardinals lead off hitter 2022, but it probably should because they don't have any other options right now against righties. Now that does not mean that when you face a left-handed hitter, he's going to be leading off for you. He won't shouldn't probably shouldn't play in those games. But he's a lefty who in his career has hit 290 against right-handed pitching. He's had like a 350 on base percentage against right-handed pitching. That's the exact type of player that I want at the top of my order, especially with guys like O'Neal and Arenado and Goldie and maybe another big bat coming uh, at shortstop, maybe on a one-year deal by the name of Trevor Story or an eight-year deal like Car- uh, Corey Seager or Carlos Correa, however you want to construct it. But A guy like Matt Duffy very well may be, or uh, Josh Harrison, whoever you decide to go out there and get, that's a cheap left-handed option or righty that hits right-handed pitching uh, that can play second base for you and probably platoon with um, Tommy Edmond at second base and platoon up at the top of the order for you going into next year. Don't know if I want Matt Duffy playing 70% of my leadoffs in a game like that as as good as his numbers that. looked that's that doesn't scream world series bound to me and maybe i'm looking at it incorrectly if that's the case and you're going to go a leadoff hitter there maybe that's more of a reason to go after a kyle schwarber if you're not going to dip, dip into that shortstop market or a nick castellanos because both guys now i know castellanos isn't the lefty but both guys have been leadoff hitters in their career and have had success in the leadoff position yeah, that's an interesting one. I didn't think of that because my whole thought process was if I'm going to bring in like a Schwarber in them, uh, let's I'm going to use Schwarber as the example because you brought him up. If I'm going to bring in Kyle Schwarber, I'm probably going to hit him second still because I think I want Goldie lean off because he does get on base at a pretty good clip. That's probably why I would move him to the one. But then you look at that top four in the lineup, and that's something you don't want to face potentially in the first inning of Goldie, Schwarber, Arnado, O'Neill. Does it give you any more solace, by the way, BK? I was looking. Baseball Reference has projections for 2022. They project project Tommy Edmond to have the highest on-base percentage of his career outside his rookie year. But what are we talking about? Like 3 315? 321. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want that. I want I want a higher on-base percentage at the top of the order. Tommy Edmond's just not very good against right-handed pitching, or at least he hasn't been thus far in his career, and that's fine. I still think he's a good player, but I, I need something better at the top of my order for next year. I know you guys said you don't think Matt Duffy when you think leadoff, but if I just told you forget the name, if I told you that from your leadoff position, you're going to have a guy that bats 295 with a 360 on base percentage next year. Would you sign up for that? Like just the production, forget the name value of who's doing it in that spot. You'd probably sign up for that, right? Because last year out of the leadoff spot, the Cardinals were 21st in on base percentage and 13th in batting average. This would rank in the top 10 in both of those categories. Yeah, I would sign up for it in a heartbeat. What'd you say the on base was from him? 355, 360. 
Oh, well, yeah, I, I signed up for that. That's Matt Duffy last year. Those were literally his numbers a year ago, and throughout his career, it's been pretty close to that. He's a 290 hitter against right-handed pitching, and he has a 345 on base percentage against righties. So I, I think that I would sign up for that. I know the name does not sound right, and again, this is just an example. Like There are a few other guys that could be on the market this offseason that projects to be something pretty similar. You do give up a little bit defensively, though. You're not going to have the same gold glove level defense from second base if you've got Duffy or Josh Harrison there as opposed to Tommy Edmond. So you got to give to get. But he's the type of guy, and he's a righty, but he hits righties really well. It would make a lot of sense for the Cardinals. So my other question is going to be, if you're going, if we're looking for another leadoff option, do you want to go with the kind of the quote-unquote traditional leadoff guy where it's on base, or do you want to go more towards where some of the league is trended towards putting that power Jorge guy Soler on top? at the top of the order Jorge like we just Soler. saw. Because you mentioned that on-base percentage. I've got Goldie's numbers in front of me. His on-base last year, and this is just in whole, not against righties or lefties, was 365. So, I mean, that's basically where Duffy was. Yeah. So if that's the case, I want a guy – I think it's time to shift more towards the power guys up at the top of the order, and that's why I look more at Paul Goldschmidt as a potential leadoff guy. But that all comes down to – who can you get that can kind of become that two-hole hitter? Because I like Arnado 3-4, but you got to find that guy that's going to put sit in that two spot and then also be able to kind of be the uh, bun at the end of it at the five spot as well. So that's where, that's where the tough part is right now in getting Goldie into that leadoff spot. I don't think it'll happen because of the season he had, but I like the idea of an Adam Duvall there too. I think he's got another year left, I think right? he opted out. Did he? Oh, I don't know. I thought I read that he opted out today. Oh, he, I, I he would be a good option. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's a good hitter. I, I like him, though, in a RBI spot um, where he's coming up with runners in scoring position. He's He's been really good yeah. in those spots Craig in the Craig Miss said he declined his side of the mutual option for 2022. Interesting. That's, arbitration eligible. That's, that's surprising. So, wait, he's arbitration eligible and he declined an option? It was a mutual option, I think it says, hmm. from Craig Mish. Braves can tender him by December 2nd. Yeah, so he'll be back with the Braves. So he'll end up just getting a raise through arbitration would be my assumption is how that that's going to end up working. Um, I don't know who specifically they're going to go out there and acquire, but when you're looking Cardinals offseason options, don't don't forget that on top of that shortstop that we're all talking about or the potential DH, they also need a leadoff hitter. And um, they, they could go the non-traditional maybe. route or they could go the more traditional route where you're platooning at second base and that guy ends up being your leadoff hitter going into 2022. But uh, they've got to have somebody to be able to fill that vacancy. Boy, we, Tommy Edmonds, just not, in my opinion, at least, I don't think he's he's necessarily the right guy for that. I right love now. these conversations. Then when our boy Gersh comes on and goes, yeah, lineup construction doesn't matter. Way to go. It doesn't matter unless you don't have your best option at the top of the order, which was the case for all of 2021. Yeah. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, I want to get Alex's thoughts on the Jack Eichel sweepstakes that have officially come to an end. And no, he is not a St. Louis Blue. What's it mean for Matthew Kachuk? We'll talk about that in 15 minutes. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, let's dive into the junk drawer. So earlier today, I made my uh, morning trek over to Starbucks. And guys, I made a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake. Did you forget to ask if T-Bone and I wanted anything? No, well, there was that as well. I That's apologize, That's a terrible guys. mistake. Yeah, at least I asked you guys what you wanted from McDanks. My mistake? 
can we do that as a junk drawer? Because this 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 jerk over here keeps calling it McDanks, and I've never heard it called that in my yeah. life. Let's let's start there. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line. It has never been called McDanks in its life. Yes, it has. No, what kind of world are you coming from to call it that? I've heard it called Mickey D's. McD's. That's what it was. That's what it McDonald's was in your guys' prime. What they called in Jefferson County, McDonald's. Yeah, I've, I've heard that before. What does that mean? Why'd you look mm-hmm. at me like that? I, I didn't. Um, I saw a point. McDanks? McDanks. M C D A N K S. That's just not a thing, man. That it's is a never thing. going to be. You guys just aren't hip, okay? You're not I, I know dope I'm washed as and old, but <laughs> anybody would call it that's dope. bad. Um, <laughs> all right. Speaking of. So, Starbucks this morning. Did you guys know today was the first day with their new holiday cups? I did. I think they're going to get one. Why? Why is this a thing? Oh like, God bless Starbucks. I got no issues with it. Why do people decide that I need a, a holiday cup? This is the day when I've got to go get my morning coffee. I waited an extra 30 minutes in line today because people were, I guess, super excited about the red cup that's going to be around for like the next three months. It's not like it's a one day thing. This sticks around for a while. What, what am I missing here? What is oh, the appeal of the holiday cup? What am I missing, Alex? It's the some... same appeal for pumpkin spice lattes once you hit September first. Oh, We've got to get into the holiday spirit. It's the same okay. appeal that people go to home, it's home not stores. Just the cup, man. But I get that. Like going to to the spot to get a if you're a pumpkin spice latte or you go to Home Goods to get the seasonal stuff. I get all of that, but you don't go on the first day. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It's not a limited time to a day. This is a seasonal thing. And what? the season is starting. It's time to celebrate. No, see, the season is not starting. You remember my junk drawer yesterday about the bar. Like, Worst Christmas bar is not until November 26th, 25th. I When's Thanksgiving? I don't know. 23rd? When, no, Thanksgiving's yeah, on the 24th, is the isn't it? 25th. Hold on. Let me take a look. I yeah, the 25th. So Christmas doesn't start until November 26th. That's when Christmas starts. I listen to Christmas music on my way into work today. Yeah, well, Pretty sure it's 25th. It's white. No, think yeah. The tw- no Thanksgiving's on that Thursday. Yeah, the twenty fifth. Isn't that what I said? Yeah, no. that's what he said. Yeah, well, you can't say about Christmas or Thanksgiving. Now we switch things up. No, Thanksgiving's well, on the, November twenty fifth. Christmas doesn't start until November twenty sixth. Okay, now I see what yeah. you're saying. I thought you were saying Christmas no, is on December twenty no, sixth. I know, I I know like, when Christmas I is. Think so, man. <laughs> I think we're. I think we're. Uh, we're Might a be having here. a stroke, but no. Yeah, Christmas doesn't begin until November twenty sixth. That's you, when you celebrate. Can you guys explain to me the appeal of these cups? Like Tanner, you said you might it's not go just later. The cup. It, it, it's the flavoring of the coffee that's in the cup. But then why the hell the do you need the mocha. damn cup? I could care less about the cup. I'm all there for the peppermint mocha that's I think out. people are going for the cups, man. Most people are psychopaths. A- am I missing something here? Aren't they here? the paper cups, too? Like, they're not, like, you reusable ones. That's why I'm confused by it, because if it was, like, a... You'll wash and use like it later? Your mug that you bring in every day, Alex. It's my that, Blues mug. If that's what they were giving away... Okay, I get that. I could see the appeal. You get it, and you're able to use it on a day-to-day basis. The Starbucks cup you use, and it is not reusable. You toss it into the recycle bin or the trash can afterwards. This is a good point from the 618. Red cups, it's the selfies that come along with showing it off. Is that what it is? You got to take a selfie with it and then post it up on the gram. Is Do this it on TikTok later? Is this just another reminder of how washed I am that I don't understand? Yeah, as T-Bone would say, you aren't dope. 
Yeah. So should I have kept my cup? I made a mistake by not well. taking a selfie with yeah. the, yeah, you should have the t- red yeah. Christmas cup because take I was a picture of yourself as you're glamorous and went to Starbucks and waited I mean, 20 extra minutes for my did. coffee with milk this morning. I can't. You did take a photo of your red Solo cup when I brought it here, but you didn't do one with your Starbucks cup. You're doing it all. Yeah, wrong. you got to take a picture while drinking the cup. I had no idea that I was doing this all wrong. Somebody else said, "Bleep you, BK. Way to way to wait 30 minutes for it. You're an idiot for a cup of coffee. I didn't anticipate waiting 30 minutes. That was the problem. I, I normally I put it in the, on the online order. I drive in. It's sitting there waiting for me, and I drive off. Today, though, as I was turning in, there was a line. I live in St. Charles, so uh, down 5th Street right there. Alex, you know the area. Mm -hmm. There was a line. Good times on 5th Street. Like going down towards the... uh, Okay. Towards the stoplight there. Oh, that's it was like extended. See, that's thirty cars deep. That's, that's where I look at you on. as a problem, though, because if I pull up to a, a coffee place like that, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm not getting coffee today. The Starbucks holiday cup ray is a rage every year. It's there's even controversy some years based on the design that they choose. Well, what this Whoa. is nothing new from Sharon and Glencoe. Thanks, Sharon. Really. I haven't seen the design yet. Well, this year. here's the other I thing. It's, it's red. Here's the. It's not just it's red, red with a Christmas tree on it. It's Get red and green, it. and it's a little white. I think there's a little bit of white. One of, them, one of them has streamers. Another one says Starbucks. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go put that up know, in my I'm basement. I'm not a fan of the one that just says Starbucks. You know, it's the Christmas season. By we the, get the brand. By the way, BK, we've officially hit the point where we are considered old. Oh, 100%. No, because everyone is saying McDanks is a thing. Thank you. No. Th- there's no way. This this has never been a thing. Thursday is buy one, get one half price? What? At Starbucks? Is that true? <laughs> How did I miss out, out on that, that one? <laughs> I should have bought two. I could have got one cup. for Tanner. Yeah. That was a jerk move. Someone asked me to punch you in the face, T-Bone, for calling it McDanks and listening to Christmas Fair. music su- su- super early. Uh, can I ask you guys another thing? So I'm a fan of cold coffee during the summer. I will drink iced coffee. In the, oh, in the, in summer. the summer. Okay. My wife does that. I don't. I always have to have hot coffee. According to Starbucks, 75% of their sales from the fourth quarter were for cold beverages. Wait, isn't what's fourth quarter? That's October, right? Or does that include October? I think It'd be the fall so. slash winter. That, yeah. I think that makes sense. Cold? Yeah, because seventy five percent. I mean, you're like low, like mid to low sixties, maybe mid fifties. I feel like that's when I transition. See, that's what I get. I go to the hots after that. I'm not a fan of uh, a. I like warm coffee, but I'm not a fan of like a pumpkin spice latte. I want a cold pumpkin spice cold brew, and that's what I'd get from them. Right now? Yeah, I'd do it now if they had it. It's like twenty degrees out there, man. It's freezing. I well, ideally, I'm not taking that like when I'm going outside to call a soccer game. I'm taking that when I'm, you know, going home to be in a warm basement. I'm the guy who will go to Disney World with my wife in the summertime where it's blistering hot out, and I'll go get a hot coffee from Starbucks. Really? And she's like, "Why are you doing that?" I'm like, "Why? I only drink hot coffee." And then about an hour later, I'm complaining about how I'm sweating. She's like, "Maybe you should have had the hot coffee earlier today." Interesting. 
Some people are saying that they're cold brew year round. I just can't do it, man. Once it gets cold outside, I, I switch it over. Uh, that's I, I usually drink warm coffee. I just like the pumpkin spice cold brew. I like cold in the summer and then hot in the winter. I'm an opposite. Apparently, guy. McDanks is a common slang word for McDonald's. Okay, no, it's not. Yeah, With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes we or so, old. we'll get into a game of better or forget it. But coming up next, Jack Eichel is officially a Vegas Golden Knight. What's it mean for the Blues? We'll talk about it next. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is official. The Jack Eichel sweepstakes are over. He is now a member of the Vegas Golden Knights. And Alex did not see that coming. That I thought this was going to end with him in Calgary. I did too. It seemed like last night everything was trending in that direction. And suddenly I woke up this morning. I was like, hey, he's on the Knights now. Like, Wait, what? What changed? Because as of last night, it felt like the package was all but completed and then it was completed on the vegas side of things would you make of the eichel move officially coming to an end after what seems like years of speculation on where he would go and what he would get and what do you think of the compensation for him? well first of all i'm glad that it's completed one we don't have to talk about it anymore and the comps to if he could come to st louis uh, rick talk had brought it up on the broadcast last night and that kind of set the world on fire um but it, it, you know it, hopefully he can get this surgery now it seems like he's going to be getting it and he'll be back in four to five months they said uh so it's good for jack eichel personally because he's one of the better players in the game and you want to see him at full strength and playing with a team that actually wants him uh to be playing um with that being said i i I'm really surprised that Vegas pulled it off because Vegas is trending in the direction of the Toronto Maple Leafs of paying four or five players a massive amount of money and then expecting to actually compete and wondering why things keep going south when they can't get past the second round of the playoffs. Um, And in terms of the compensation for it, Buffalo did not get what they wanted. I should say they got Peyton Krebs. Who's a good player. First round pick. Alex Tuck. Good a player. first round pick in 2022 that is top 10 protected. So if Vegas falls off the face of the earth this year, uh, Buffalo does not end up getting that and a third round pick in 2023. So the draft pick compensation is what I was surprised by. I thought they would get a lot more than that. Oh, I did too. And especially that it's top 10 protected. So even if Vegas were to tank, you don't get lucky and get a top 10 pick. You're going to be picking 15th or below with this. And it's rare to have an impact from a guy immediately with an organization if you're picking 15th or below. Blues are the ones that get lucky when they find uh, gems or diamonds in the rough there. So uh, if the package were to be true, which we saw rumored about Calgary, which now we're finding out that Kachuk wasn't even a part of it, but the rumor was Matthew Kachuk or Sean Monahan, a former first-round draft pick, a first-round draft pick that wasn't protected like, like Vegas is, and then a couple of other draft picks like that is what Jack Eichel is worth with or without the surgery that comes into it. So frankly, Vegas should be happy because they got this on a steal. Peyton Krebs is a good player. Alex Tuck is a good player, but none of them are anywhere near the the, the compensation for Jack Eichel at full strength. If I'm Vegas, I think I had to make this deal. 100%. I mean, I, mean, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying where, yeah, they are definitely up against it to say the least when it comes to the cap, but if you're telling me I can get a superstar and in return, what I have to give up is a couple of solid players and a first-round pick that's probably going to be in the middle of the round, I, I have to make that deal. Every every day of the week, I've got to make that deal because Eichel 
huge caveat here, if healthy, is a legitimate superstar in this league, mm-hmm. a point-per-game player, and your depth is definitely going to take a hit. And you look at what their bottom six could be uh, forward-wise, it ain't great moving forward. But their top six is probably the best in the league. They're trying to win this way, the way that I would imagine Colorado at its peak this year hopes that they could win uh, this year. And moving forward, they're going to be a threat in the West as long as they're healthy. But if they aren't healthy, they're going to have some serious issues among their uh, because of the, their lack of depth. So I think they had to make this deal. Calgary's where I find this interesting when it comes to the Blues situation, though. Because if they had got Jack Eichel... I do wonder what that would have meant for the future of Matthew Kachuk and whether or not he was long for Calgary. I still feel that way about once his contract is over. Does this change anything in your mind of what it means for Matthew Kachuk with the Blues and that connection next offseason? I don't think it really changes much. I think the fact that Matthew Kachuk hasn't signed a long-term extension and we heard everything that took place in the offseason – when his name was brought up in the rumors last night, I had a tin foil ready to go today because I thought the blues were going to be the third. I know I thought the blues were going to be the third team involved. And I thought this could have been possibly a Matthew Kachuk to St. Louis after the trade. And then pieces from the blues going to Buffalo. But when they redacted that look, Calgary's off to a really good start this season. Kachuk's an RFA after this year. And he's made it pretty clear. He's only signing a one year contract next office or this coming off season. So I think he's poised to become a free agent in two years, and I think the Blues are a destination he wants. The Blues obviously would be interested. So the Jack Eichel news I don't think changes much on the Matthew Kachuk to the Blues front. I think it still puts them in the consideration for it because if the Blues were to get Jack Eichel, I think they would have been pretty much done with trying to get Matthew Kachuk because they couldn't have made it work. The other piece for the Blues that is interesting here is Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, this is the one that gets me. Because if there was any connection here between the Blues and Buffalo, it was, hey, the the Sabres are trying to uh, trade an injured player who in his past has been a superstar, but you just don't know what he's going to look like when he returns. What's the compensation look like for a guy like that? Well, Vladimir Tarasenko was basically the equivalent of that in the offseason, and now... We have seen what he looks like, and he looks really good. Mm-hmm. Point-per-game type of a player so far this year. Does does this compensation give us an indication at all of what Vladimir Tarasenko could be worth? I think it gives you a little bit of indication, and I think more so the rumors of what Calgary was willing to offer for Jack Eichel gives you an indication as well that if a player is desperately needed, like, look, Vegas made this trade because they desperately needed a number one centerman. Their number one centerman is Chandler Stevenson, who's been good, but they got him off of waivers from the Washington Capitals. A team that is going to be desperate for a right winger who can score 30 to 35 goals in a season, they'll pay the right price. The fact that Vegas only gave that up, though, I'm looking at that, and this morning I'm thinking, man, if you're Doug Armstrong, you're thinking... I need more than that for Vladimir Tarasenko. You you would need more than the defenseman equivalent of Tuck? I think so, because the defenseman equivalent of Tuck is a mid-pairing defenseman. It's not a top-four defenseman. If the, if the deal were to be made with the Calgary Flames, that would have been a top-four defenseman. That would have been possibly trending in the direction of an elite defenseman that you're Are getting back in return. Tuck? Because I mean, he had 18 goals in 55 games last year. He had 20 goals in 74 games in the last full season in 2019. He's 24 years old. He's a really good player. If you were to put him on this roster right now, I think he'd be playing on your second or third line. I'm with you. So that's why when I ask that, 
so a second pairing defenseman, not not enough right now. I don't for think the Blues. so. I, I I mean, Vladdy's put together eleven points in eight games, and I think if you're going to trade Vladdy, you're looking for a top four defenseman. I'm looking back on trades. I've mentioned the Jonathan Druin trades in the past, but then the other ones, the Colorado Avalanche, when they traded away Matt Duchesne. Look what they got for Matt Duchesne. They got a couple of mid level prospects, but they got a first round draft pick that resulted in Ottawa tanking, turning into Kale McCarr. Like, I think you have to get, if you're going to be looking at the future with Vladimir Tarasenko, you're going to want a first-round draft pick that could turn into a top 10. If you're not, you're going to want a top four defenseman rather than somebody who could play on your second or third pair. Yeah, I think as of now, with what we've seen so far from Tarasenko, uh, I mean, unless something changes with his performance, I just don't no. think I'm trading him in season. I agree 100%. I think I'm waiting until the offseason, and then I can construct my roster accordingly, find out what happens with Perron, decide what to do with the rest of your roster, but... Um, as of right now, I can't trade the guy that leads my team in points. Uh, he's had 11 points so far this year in eight games. Last night, once again, he continued his streak. What is it, seven straight games now, yeah. point streak? Leads the team in in shots, too. He's got 34 shots on goal this season. And most of those have come in the last five games or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's been really good for them, and that's not a guy that I feel like they can lose right now. I think you got to keep him, especially the, his line has been their most consistent line this year. Yeah. So I, I'm not I'm not moving that even if it is for a second pairing defenseman. Right now I think he's more valuable than the guy that you would be able to get in return. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Watch Joey Vitale for his thoughts on that trade coming up in 15 minutes or so. But next, let's play a game of bet it or forget it. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. I can't God believe we did it dang again. it! I thought you did this as a, as a joke I last night. <sighs> I thought you did it as a joke. You're the best segment. Believe it or not, next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. Now oh, I know why you tried to. Take it with us, Ferrario. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Damn, he's quick. He, he realized he, he was the only off. one singing. Son of a gun. He played the Oscars I got, music. I got trigger happy. He played himself off here. BK didn't even sing with you there. BK's not not fond of this well, okay. today. Having BK just drags it down. That's not true. He sang last week. He was, he was pretty decent. 65780 is the Air yeah. Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Believe it or not, Alex is going to be upset when the Cardinals sign... Uh, Trevor Story to a one-year deal this offseason. Well, why would I be upset? I'm not Debbie Downer I all don't know, the time. Man. I, think I got that vibe earlier today that no. you're out on Trevor Story. I'm not. Well, I'm not a fan of Trevor Story, but if that's the option that you what? go to. Since when are you not a fan of Trevor Story? I'm just, I'm, I'm, eh. not, not hip enough. Corey Seager's the guy that I've said you need to go after. I have heard him say that. I've said that a lot. Yeah, but you were all in on Trevor's story at one point. I was never all in on Trevor's story. Trevor's story was my number three behind Corey Seager and Carlos Correa. I'm not going to be upset about it. If you get him for a one-year deal, okay. But I think you're going to have a lot more answers. You're going to have a lot more questions to answer in the next offseason. And if you don't win a World Series, then you're going to be saying, okay, well, we missed out when we went all in with this guy, and now we're back to square one. So... Uh, I'm not going to believe that. I'll be fine. I just uh, I think there's... Tanner, do you believe it? I think he's going to be upset. I believe he'll be fine. Okay. 
He's a, he's a big boy. He'll handle it. 65780 Maybe. is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Believe it or not, somebody not on the current Cardinals roster will lead off for them next year. Mark Count. <laughs> Technically, he is not on the Cardinals That's roster. Correct. If you think Marp is going to lead off, you have bigger issues. Believe it or not, boys. <sighs> I I think I'll believe it. It sounds like they're going to go to the platoon options, and I believe that they will sign someone like a Matt Duffy, someone like that that can hit right-handed pitching, and then they'll move him up to the top of the order, and they'll pull uh, Tommy Emmett down to around that sixth spot. So I think I'll believe this. Yeah, I'm not going to believe this. I, I think a majority of the leadoffs next season are going to be somebody internally. I think it's going to be Tommy Edmond. I think you'll see a little Dylan Carlson there. Maybe Paul Goldschmidt. The one I didn't even get to think about mentioning when we were talking about it, Tyler O'Neill is another one that maybe you look at, you give him a shot there with the speed factor. So uh, I'm not going to believe this one. I think it's going to be an internal um, leadoff position, and I think the external ad is going to be in the middle of that top four. I'm believing it. I think they will have somebody else that is not currently on the roster that leads off for them the majority of the time against right-handed pitching. Believe it or not, Tyler O'Neill will hit fewer than 30 home runs next year. According to baseball reference, they have his new projections out for next season. They are projecting him for 26 home runs with a 260 batting average next year. So believe it or not, he does not hit more than 30 home runs next year. I'm not going to believe this either. I I mean, if this is the true superstar that we're seeing emerge, he's a 35 home run hitter. Maybe more than that. Tyler O'Neill has found the the confidence at the plate. If Tyler O'Neill has found the pitch recognition and if this hitting approach worked with Jeff Albert, now they're all in on it. And if that's the case, then I think Tyler O'Neill takes another step forward. So I'm not going to believe this one either. I think I'm... Wait, you are or aren't going to believe I'm not it? believing this. He's a 30-plus home run hitter. Oh, because it's not hit 30. Oh, yeah. Got it now. Okay. Light bulb clicked. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I'll... I will not believe this too. I, I think he'll be a 30-home run guy. As long as he stays healthy and he can stay as consistent as he was this year, I think he's definitely a 30-home run guy that could have the potential to be a 35-plus home run guy. I'm not believing it as well. I think he's going to end up with more than 30 next year. I think this was the first sign of what is to come for Tyler O'Neill. I think we will look back on this as being his true breakout season, and there was a lot more to come. 65780 is the air comfort service X line from the 618. Believe it or not, the Giants will miss the postseason next year now that Buster Posey has retired. Oh, man. I think I'm going to believe this one. I think we're going back to not believing in the Giants. It's crazy how quickly that happens, isn't it? But I mean, but you're taking a pretty big piece out of that team for you. And I mean, you're not just taking a bat out. You're taking like a leader out on the roster. Like, I I know it's not the same, but it kind of feels like when Jason Veritek called it a career with the Boston Red Sox, doesn't it? Where it's like the captain of that roster. So I'm going to believe this one because I think the Padres are going to be much better now with Bob Melvin. We all know the Dodgers are going to be the Dodgers. I don't see three teams from the NL West getting into the playoffs. So I think San Francisco is going to be the odd one out unless they expand playoffs. But I I don't think that's going to happen. I think I'm not going to believe this. I think they're still a playoff team because I think they'll bring back Brandon Belt. I still am not going to rule them out of bringing back uh, Chris Bryant. Well, I think this and solidifies Chris Bryant. I, I have faith that they can find, whether it is Gossman or Descofani that is going to come back, I have faith they can find the pitching to pitch in that ballpark. That ballpark is very pitcher-friendly. So I, I'm not going to believe it. I, I still think, and I think they'll spend, because that's kind of what they've done in years past. I think they'll spend. I think they'll retool. And I think they'll still be a playoff team. Now, I like you, expect the Padres to be good. 
Uh, somebody from the NL Central may not be making the playoffs next year. Milwaukee. The Cardinals or Brewers. They have nine pitchers from last year's team that are scheduled to be free agent. Nine. Got That's a lot of amazing. cap space to spend. Uh, for sure. And yeah, What's their total payroll at? Right uh, now? I don't know. I'd have to check. Um, I'm... I think I'm with Alex, and it's totally unfair of me to do this probably, but I think the Padres are are going to be good next year. Uh, I'm, I'm a believer in that talent, and Bob Melvin's a really good manager. I think he gets that ship righted. The Dodgers, I fully expect, will be really good once again, of course, next year. I think the Cardinals are going to be awesome. You're going to have somebody coming out of the, the NL East. Leaves one spot remaining. And whether it be the Brewers, one of those other teams in the NL East emerging and just weird stuff happening in baseball where you're going to deal with injuries throughout the season. Maybe some of your pitchers that performed really well this year aren't going to be at that same level next year. They do have some uh, turnover on the coaching staff already. Their hitting coach from a year ago is now heading down to Texas. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to believe that they're missing the playoffs this year. Giants will be, have about $64 million on the books because Posey's retirement is going to take money off, and then they're going to decline Cueto. So they're going to have about $64 million on the books heading into free agency. Is that before any arbitration eligible That's with players? That's the projected arbitration. Wow. So they've got like $100-plus million that they can spend well, now. I think when you lose Buster Posey, you're going to spend a big chunk of that change on Chris Bryant because he's the new face with the team along with Brandon Crawford. Um, you know, the team that I think is going to be a lot more dangerous next year, are the Phillies. And I'm interested to see what their offseason looks like, because if it's true that they're connected to one of the big time shortstops, maybe they're wheeling and dealing in the offseason. They're a team that was just on the cusp of getting in. And I got to figure out that bullpen every year. Yeah. It's the same well, and story. They're, they're pitching overall too. like they were relying heavily on Jake Arrieta there and he just dropped off the cliff. But if you got a punch of Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler and you fix that bullpen, that's good a start. scary good team. So. Yeah, I just I don't see the Giants being there. Another another team that I'm going to keep an eye on, and mine's going. I'm going to swing over to the AL West. Did you guys see that? There's a report Scherzer is being recruited by Trout. Interesting. I think stay in LA. The Dodgers. The Dodgers may have some question marks with pitching coming into this offseason. Nope. If they're going to if they're not going to bring back Kershaw, Bauer's not coming back, and then you've got uh, Max Scherzer coming off the books as well. Still got Yuri. Still got Bueller. But we saw in the postseason that wasn't enough. I don't think about Trout's recruitment because you also have a World Series champion teammate with Max Scherzer as well and Anthony Rendon playing third base. So they're a team that just needs to bolster that rotation and could be a dangerous looking team if they stay healthy. Yeah, the other thing is I'm just not sure. The guy that they've got in charge there now is very analytically driven. I'm not sure that he's going to be the one that's going to go give Scherzer a $50 million per year contract. Yeah. I, I feel like that's the opposite of what they've been trending towards. They've been trying to clean their books. But if it's a one-year deal, maybe that changes things. If, if he's willing to take a one-year offer, uh, that would make a lot of sense for the Angels. If he's looking for like three or four, though, uh, I'm not sure that's something that I would anticipate they would decide to do. Uh, but that is very interesting. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, Andrew Kisner will be traded this offseason. You know, I'm uh, I'm going to be the crazy one here. I think I'm going to believe this. I think if you're going to seriously try and put a package together and you don't like how much money the out, the options are for your bat in the offseason, or maybe you don't like the options of how much the pitching is going to cost in the offseason, I think you could put a pretty decent package together of a Paul DeYoung, another top prospect, and an Andrew Kisner. I think somebody would be willing to jump on that. The Cardinals would say, you know what, Yachty's final year, let's get him a veteran backup and have Yvonne Herrera amp things up so that he's ready to take over in two years. Um, so I'm going to believe this one. I think he gets traded. I don't think I'm going to believe this one. I, 
I think that you can keep him as your va- backup kind of cost control so you don't have to go spend like a million bucks on a backup, uh, veteran backup. And also, if this is actually Yachty's final season, there's a big step Avon Hurra has to make to be ready to be a everyday catch at the major league level and be a part of a winning team in this winning window. I think this is that year of Kisner continues to kind of learn from Yachty. Then maybe ne- the following year, if Yachty actually retires, Kisner's that kind of stopgap from uh, Yachty to Herrera. So I'm, I'm not going to believe it. I think the Cardinals will keep Andrew Kisner. I think I'm starting to trend where you're at right now, Tanner. I, I think I'm going to not believe this. I think they would like to have a guy who has major league experience as their backup catcher next year. And maybe that means they just go sign a guy for a couple of million dollars. Those, those players are always available uh, and you can get them out there. But Kisner does offer a lot of value for being as cheap as he is right now. And then going into 2023. So not this upcoming year, but the year after he very well might be a guy that you have catching like 50% of your games. And that could be with another veteran starter that you go sign or Maybe it is with Yvonne Herrera, depending on what how his progression looks this year at AAA. But I think they end up keeping him. I'm not sure that he's the trade chip that they're going to be moving on from this offseason. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane here in about 15 minutes or so. But next, our Blues analyst for 101 ESPN and the Blues Radio Network, Joey Vitale, joins us here on 101 ESPN. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by the Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to talk some blues hockey with our guy Joey Vitale, blues analyst for 101 ESPN and the Blues Radio Network. Joey, what's going on, man? Joey, Joey, Joey. What's up, boys? Boys, doing well, doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing all right, man. Would have been doing better if the Blues were able to get that extra point after after last night's comeback. What'd you make of their, their loss last night, but they were able to get that point at the end of regulation? Yeah, kind of a seesaw game, a weird game in, in, in a lot of ways. You know, I thought the Blues, they, they kind of played the style of game that you kind of expect going into L.A. the old school years where you kind of go in, it's kind of a bit of a boring game, defensive struggle back and forth. You know, I thought that, you know, the power play gets that goal, right? You're like, oh, here we go again, just like the Chicago game. The Blues didn't look all that great, 5-on-5, five five, but if they get the power play goal, and maybe that's going to be the difference if the goaltender can shut the door. I think the Blues got a little bit lax based going that third period. You got to give a lot of credit to LA, who made a massive push, and they really kind of countered and got that goal ahead goal there by Kempe. But, but like you said, BK, you know, it's, you can look at it two different ways. Um, yes, it's great that the Blues got that point and salvaged a point with the late heroics of Tori Krug. But at the same time, I think it's a team that expects a lot out of themselves. And I think it's a coaching staff that expects a lot out of this team. So if you look at the way they've played, especially these last three games, I know they're scratching and clawing to put points together. But at the same time, five on five, it has not looked all that pretty. And you can tell they've been missing their captain. I think this coach starting tonight in San Jose is going to try to right that ship. Joey, you mentioned Tory Krug, and he had some great comments after the game last night talking about how the Blues just seemed a little too comfortable with playing on the outside. And that's not the case the first few games of the season where the Blues were going to the net hard. Uh, you've been a player in the NHL. You know how hard it is to play that style of hockey for 82 games. But why is it individually where you start backing away from going to the front of the net? Well, I think it's the psychology, Alex, of, of when you start the season like the Blues did, 
they were kind of written off. Like everyone was talking about Colorado and Vegas and some big powerhouses right in the West. And they kind of forgot about the Blues. And even Ryan O'Reilly kind of chuckled about it when the season started when we asked him, how, how does that make you feel? He said, you know what, we actually like that. We, we like to be in that position. It kind of makes you hungry. It puts that kind of, that, that, that kind of burn in your stomach, right? So you start the year, and they have a lot to prove. And they, and they were hungry. And that's where they came out, and they started fast. They started with the aggressiveness. Uh, the forecheck was there, getting to the front of the net, getting to that interior core right in front of the blue paint. It was all there because they really I feel like they had something to prove. It was a lot of, a lot of mental, right? Uh, you have a lot of success to start the year. You go 5-0 and uh, and still got a great record. And now the, the psychology of a player, like, like all humans, once you have success, you kind of sit back and say, hey, maybe we're a little bit better than we thought we were. And that's when you can kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit. And, and, that's, and that's the tricky part for teams and, 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 and why they can stay consistent, how they can stay consistent throughout the season. It's not necessarily just the physical pieces or the elements of the, the lines and the depth and the, and the core, core back end and maybe having a great goaltender. It's more that psychology, like that mental psychology of even though you're at the top, how do you, how do you find yourself continuing to push for even something greater and deeper? That's what makes the greatest players in the world great because they've already achieved success, but they still have that hunger for more. Like you think a player like Sidney Crosby, he's already won three cups, but he's still after every single day. He, he just wants more and more and more. That to me is the most fascinating thing about the individual. And it's the most fascinating thing about teams that go back to back and win two Stanley Cups or have, you know, first place in the conference year after year. I mean, look what Tampa Bay just did. To me, that's impressive in the sense that you have success. You know, you're one of the best but you still find the tools and the mental capacity to keep pushing forward. So I think that's kind of what the Blues are dealing with right now. You, know, you start out in a great start, uh, maybe a little bit, hey, we're a little bit better than we thought we were, uh, but you got to be careful how you handle that mentally because if you're not careful, it can trip you up in a hurry because it's a tough league, and any, any team can be any other team at any given night. So you got to bring your work boots every single night. I think that's what the Blues are starting to realize. Joey Vitale is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Joey, to my untrained eye, last night felt like Tory Krug's best game that I've seen him play in a Blues uniform. I guess, first of all, would you agree with that assessment of how well he played last night? And, and secondarily, what have you seen that's that's kind of flipped the switch for him this year? Is there anything in particular in his game that you can uh, signify that that's that's really kind of turned the page from where it was a year ago? Yeah, I think that was easily his best game. And I'm not gonna, well, I shouldn't say easily. I think he's played very good. I think he's played great, actually. I think most, most given nights, I think him and Justin Falk have been our best offensive defensemen. And I look at Colton Fraco as just that constant steady on the back end. But from an offensive standpoint, um, you have to look towards Tory Crew. I think that was one of his best performances of the season without question. I mean, the biggest thing I noticed last night, even before he scores that goal, I mean, go back to that first period. They had about three turnovers where L.A.'s trying to get out of their zone. He stepped up right at the blue line, and he ste- you know, stepped into a, p- a pass and intercepted it and set up Tarasenko on one play. He went to the back door. The one got barely tipped wide on the second play. So the biggest thing I noticed in last night's game, just to put that kind of under a microscope, is his, his aggressiveness and his decisiveness to go after the puck in the offensive zone with no regrets, with no shame with no reserve, like he's not going in the offensive zone and pinching like he did on those plays, thinking, oh, I'm kind of going to go in, I'm kind of not. I'm not going to test the water with my toes. He's just jumping right in the pool, right? That, that to me, was really stood out. When you can play that aggressive, you, you can do it by a couple of reasons. Um, number two, got to have the tools, which, of course, he does on the offensive side of things. Uh, but another, another thing that he has with him that is very important in, in order if you want to play that way, and that's you got to have a great partner. And you look at Justin Falk, the way he's been playing over the last year and a half, like just that steady, steady defenseman who can get up in the rush, but is also very defensively responsible. They have a great little duo going right now 
where Tory has the freedom to jump and he can do it with that all-in mentality, knowing that Falk's going to be uh, there to recover and help him out on the back end. Not to mention, um, Tory's a smart, intelligent hockey player. He's not just dive bombing when he's when it's just him and Justin that are back. He's dive bombing a lot because you know maybe the center's high or he sees a winger coming back and overlapping. He sees that he's got a safety blanket, so he's going. Uh, but I, I just see a, a player that's just so much more comfortable. A player that looked like uh, when I played against him when he was with the Boston Bruins, a guy that could slow down the game with, with just the, the pace for which he goes, get behind the net and just slow everything down and be the quarterback, not only on the power play, but as far as being the guy to get up and out of the zone and into the offensive zone. So just a wonderful, a wonderful signing by Doug Armstrong. It was great that this team has stayed so patient with him because just like Justin Falk, sometimes guys, as we know, it just takes a little time. Every now and then you get, you get a player that comes in, just that kind of beginner's luck. They come in and jump in like Marco Scandella did and boom, oh my God, what an absolute, a bargain we got Marco for. He's up there with Pareko. He's signing an extension right now. Do it. He, he came on the scene so hot. Other players take a little time. You know, Marco jumped around from team to team to team. I think we're maybe this is his fourth or fifth team. So he was used to that. Tori and Justin, they're both part of an organization, just one organization their entire career. It's going to take time. And the Blues did a great job being patient with both those players. And it's starting to pay dividends. Joe, final one from me. We've seen the youth have an impact in the early portion of the season. Jake Neighbors, Jake Wallman, Clem Costin. We might be seeing a big impact tonight with Joel Hofer. You and I are on the same page. It's hard to go back to Jordan Bennington after such the length of a hockey game that Jordan Bennington went in last night on the West Coast with a quick transition from L.A. to San Jose. From a player's point of view, what are your, what are your goals with Joel Hofer in between the pipes? Well, first of all, you know, I, I, I do think we're going to see Joel Hofer tonight. I, I, I believe we are. I, I don't think that Craig Berube had the decision made until after the game last night. You know, and the reason I say that is because uh, starting goaltenders like Bennington, they're in shape, they're young. They can easily go back-to-back. It's not the end of the world, right? But you have to manage, you have to, you have to monitor how that first game goes. There's a lot that goes into it, right? If, if Jordan Bennington in that Blackhawks game that some of the fans out there went to last week, if, if that was the first of a back-to-back, I say you go with Bennington right again. He gets the shutout, wasn't tested all that much. The game only lasted 60 minutes. But last night's game in L.A. was a little bit different, you know, especially as the game went on. L.A. really started to push. He had to make some just absolute groin-ripping, highlight reel saves in that overtime. I think he had eight shots on goal in that overtime. So he did that. Then he went the distance in the shootout. Then the shootout went to extra shooters, right? I mean, it was just – it was a lot of time, a lot of stress on the body and the mind for Bennington. So I think that that's now why, if you're Craig Berube, I think you have to go with Joe Hofer here in tonight's game. So I, I like the situation for a lot of reasons. Number one, give your starter a rest. But number two, this is maybe exactly what this team needs right now. I mean, they're, they're on a little bit of a three-game skid where they're not playing all that great. Yes, they're scratching and clawing for points. and They're kind of putting them together, even though they're not playing great, which is a really, really positive thing. But, but this team's missing something. They're, they're missing a little bit of a jump. They need a jolt. They need a little bit of a, a catalyst behind something to kind of get this team up and running again. You know, with Ryan O'Reilly still out of the lineup, you know, who could that be? Well, if I'm a coach, I'm putting in this young kid. He's never started a game before. What a cool story. And you put him in there, and this is, this is an opportunity for the entire Blues team to really rally around this kid and to really get maybe that jolt in the season in the middle of this big, long road trip that they need. I, I, as a player – Whenever there was a starting goaltender, this his first game, whether it be Brad Deason, uh, we had Jeff Zakoff in Pittsburgh, and then one more in, um, in Arizona with, with, with Riot. So I just I, I remember that feeling like, hey, man, this is the kid's first start. Let's go out there. Let's battle for him. Let's block every single shot. Let's go to absolute war for this kid because nothing is, is, is cool 
as you see a, a guy come into the league in his first game, especially a goalie, especially a goalie, and you see them have success right away. So I think this is probably just what the doctor ordered. Uh, you're going into San Jose, a team that's pretty banged up from COVID as well. Um, a very um, interesting game in a sense. It, it is winnable. It is winnable from all the pieces that they are missing. I know it's back-to-back. I know it's travel. But i tell you what, you put in that young kid here tonight, and this team can rally behind it and just go all out for him and just empty the tanks because then you got a few days off in Anaheim. It could be a pretty cool, pretty cool story. He's Joey Vitale. You'll hear him on the call tonight for Blues versus Sharks. Pre-game coverage with Alex begins at 8.30. I'll puck drop with Joey and Curbs coming up at 9.30 tonight. Joey, enjoy the late-night hockey out in the West Coast, man. We'll talk with you again next week. All right, boys. Thanks anytime. Absolutely. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over the fast lane coming up next. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Fastlane, we've got Brad Thompson in studio with us. BT, what's going on, man? Nothing, man. How are you guys doing today? Doing really well. So I wanted to get you in on a conversation that we had earlier today because I, I was frankly stunned. Is this about the, the monkey in Texas? No, but yes. did you see the response today yes, from Sark? It's not a distraction. No distraction. No I fun. never want to hear from another coach ever again that there are distractions because if this ain't one, then they don't hey, exist. Look, it's a pole assassin. You knew that uh, you know her and her. Her husband, they they had a monkey. Monkey uh-huh. bite. It's just an animal. It's like a little. It's like a dog biting. You know, it's like their dog biting. So it's the best story we've had all year. It's amazing. Right, what other conversation did you guys have? Uh, we also talked about Trevor Story, who I don't know. Maybe okay. he. It's unconfirmed whether or not he has a monkey, but uh, I guess we could maybe find out if he signs here in St. Louis. Let me uh, text Matt Holiday. He would know. Please do, and let's find out what his uh, his animal of choice is. So CBS Sports broke down their top fifty uh, free agents going into the offseason, and Story was at like number fifteen, which surprised me a little bit. Seemed a little bit low, but I guess it makes sense when you look at what his numbers were last year. And they said factoring in the lingering concerns about his home road splits and the bloated shortstop market, he might end up serving as this winter's version of Marcus Simeon, Great. settling for a pillow contract before landing on the mattress next year. So if you're thinking Trevor, or I do that every time, Marcus Simeon, not Trevor Simeon, Dude, who's now the that. starting quarterback. I did quarterback. it the other day when I was trying oh. to talk about Trevor Simeon. I called him Marcus. I've I've done it like no fewer than a hundred times. They are of no relation. No, no relation. Not similar at all. Marcus Simeon, very good at baseball. Trevor Simeon, bombs last year very Simeon. bad at football. Um, okay, so whoa, if you whoa, end whoa, up whoa. in a situation. Did you say Trevor Simeon's bad at football? Yeah, man. He won. I know. He's a winner. I don't understand it. Beat a good team. You have to be good to have a starting job in the NFL. You have to be good. Fair. And fortunate. Touche. Okay, so if Trevor Story was willing to accept a one-year deal this offseason for, let's call it $23 million, a little more than what Marcus Simeon got last year from the Blue Jays. Yeah. You in for the oh, Cardinals? God, yeah, man. Yeah, look, this is a guy, I uh, I understand the numbers, and I would much rather, if you're the St. Louis Cardinals, wouldn't you much rather have a trial year for that player anyhow? That's where I'm a at. A motivated but, player? Uh, for what it's worth, Alex and Tanner both said, I'm out. Because Why? now you've got it there. Let me, you, you can tell out? me if I'm wrong here, but basically Cheap then on? you're in the same situation next year where you once again might not have a shortstop. Who cares? 
You're going to be in that position anyhow. Just so you know, you're not getting one of those other guys. So if you can get a pillow pillow contract on a player. So here's my thing with with Trevor Story and just along these lines, right? If he is the odd man out, if he's sitting there looking at at this musical chairs game and he runs out of one and has to sign that deal, he is great friends with Nolan Arenado. So that helps, you know, get him in the building, have his guy around. Uh, Matt Holliday, who is around the organization plenty at the very least, friends with that guy too. You have your ties. You you find out what St. Louis is all about. You play for this fan base for a year. And then maybe all of a sudden that signing a long-term deal, if it makes sense on both sides, is a hell of a lot easier instead of uprooting your family again and doing it. To me, it makes all the sense in the world. And I, I would be concerned about the splits. And I would sure. be concerned about the down year. But you know and the injury else, to his elbow. Yeah, you know who else had uh, like random splits and an injury and uh, and a guy that had a down year? Nolan Arenado, and he just hit or thirty-four right. bombs for you and drove in over a hundred for the first time. A Cardinal did that since Matt Holiday in twenty twelve. So talent plays. Here's my question to you though: yeah. other than the the relationship with Nolan, which is a big one, I think that Nolan Arenado could pull him over if the organization was willing to spend the money, but. If you are, to use the term they used at CBS Sports, if, if you're you know looking for that pillow contract and trying to hit the mattress next year, is St. Louis where baseballs go to die where you want to do that? So that's the thing. Uh, I think there's two, two ways to look at this. If you're Trevor Story, do you want to win? Because if you do, there are very few teams. This is kind of surprising in some ways. There are very few teams that are going to be in that shortstop market for that big money deal on a one-year contract that are going to be of interest. Yeah. Like maybe he ends up looking at Houston. If they lose Carlos Correa, maybe they'd be willing to do a one-year deal for him, and maybe that would make some sense for him. But otherwise, there's just not a whole lot of options that would be great for him on this market. Uh, so if winning is the priority, I think St. Louis makes a lot of sense. I agree, but if it's a one-year deal, I would think that, that it's numbers, numbers related. Yeah, because sure. that's kind of where you want to land. But I think that you can do both things, too. And, and we are smart enough, too, as a baseball society now, to be able to dig into your analytics and, and look at some yeah. of your advanced numbers. They adjust where you look for at, the ballpark. Yes, exactly. So you you're still get your hard hit rates. You're still looking. Uh, every single home run that's hit in baseball, like right afterwards, is like, hey, that was a home run in 27 ballparks. Mm-hmm. Or that was a home run, you know, whatever. Like we have all of this information. So you can't just look at the bottom line and say, all right, well, this is what the player was. You dig a little bit deeper. It's all about being comfortable. You find him a landing spot. BK, I love the idea. Well, uh, for example, Nolan Arenado, you brought him up a little bit ago. In terms of his OPS plus, which does adjust for the ballpark, he was at 121 last year here in St. Louis. His career OPS plus 121. So, so he was basically in guy. line with what he's been previously. But if you look at the actual raw numbers, batting average on base, slugging, all of that, it was down significantly. Well, of course, because he's not playing in Colorado anymore. Yeah. So you'd expect it to come down a little bit. So teams are smart enough. They can see stuff like that, uh, especially in today's game. I would love I I think it's the best case scenario for the Cardinals this offseason is a yeah. one year, two year deal with Trevor Story. You mitigate a lot of that long term risk, but you do still you bake in that upside of he might be awesome for you next year. Hit 30 plus might homers potential gold glove defense at shortstop and you end up going to the world series as a result that's the upside the downside is either he stinks this is the player that he is now and still even then he's better than the guys that you had and the downside would be the other alternative he's really good he prices himself out of your range 
and then you figure it out and you get a comp pick for so him the following year. What it is at the very least is if he did leave, right? Again, playing this dream scenario, which would be awesome. Uh, it, it gives you another year to get closer to what you believe maybe your future is. I don't know exactly how the organization feels about Delvin Perez, but I know he's getting closer. Had a good year at Double A. Mason Wynn a little bit further down the pipeline. Maybe 2024 is going to be the year that he's ready. It helps bridge that gap a little bit. Too. And maybe then you're in the market for an outfielder yep. or a DH or whatever it might be next offseason where you've got that Starting money coming pitcher. off of yep. the book. So you've got $25 million to spend. Yeah, maybe you're going out there and, hey, there's somebody that just became available, wants to play for the Cardinal. He's $25 million. Maybe next year, Shane Bieber. The, the Indians are guardians, excuse me, are looking to get rid of him. And you decide to trade for that $20 million salary. Like are it, the guardians already. I think it's it happened like right after the World Series. They, they're, they're putting the new sign up outside of their ballpark. It's not so up yet. I don't know if it's officially officially it's the Indians yet. Still okay. So the Cleveland baseball team, yeah. we'll, we'll do what we did with Washington. Uh, the Cleveland baseball team, make a trade with him. Maybe it ends up being, uh, I saw yesterday, Jose Ramirez is signing his mutual option or whatever. So there's a lot of options. You just got to figure out what to do afterwards. But first, good Trevor story. BT, what's coming up today on the fast lane? Man, all kinds of good stuff. Look, uh, Jamie's going to break down the Blues game. What happened uh, down this stretch? I've never felt uh, so good about a loss because it just happened so quickly. We have a lot of Cardinal talk. We'll talk Posey. We'll talk Yachty Yarmolita. We'll talk uh, well for four hours. That's coming up from two to six. We'll be back tomorrow at eleven, right here on one hundred and one ESPN. Never thought I could feel. Oh wait a minute! Damn, he's quick. <laughs> He, he realized he was the only off. one singing. Son of a gun. He played the Oscars I got, music. I got trigger happy. He played himself off here.